What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 88th draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside he's allergic to tomatoes, but he's tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, it is a Monday. We're recording as trailers drop for both Annette and Shang-Chi. All the Leo Carax and Marvel fanboys, that big group of crossover uh, everyone's happy. Oh, I guarantee um, that there is a Marvel fanboy out there who saw the Annette trailer and the first fucking thing he thought or she thought was, or they thought was, okay, Adam Driver's got to be Craven the Hunter now. And I'm just like, get out of here. <laughs> um, I don't know what that crossover is. There are some people, because obviously I'm in that category. Uh, but yeah, we got lots of trailers to talk about. We got Shang-Chi, Annette. There was a new Fast and Furious trailer. Um, God, there's uh, trailers for uh, Those Who Wish Me Dead, um, uh, Army of the Dead, lots of dead, um, as well as we're going to do Oscar predictions. A lot of bro cinema. On, yeah, a lot of bro cinema. Annette, bro cinema at its finest. Um, and we're going to do Oscar predictions on this episode, uh, as well as much, much more. Because yes, the twenty. 21 academy awards uh are this weekend this sunday um and honoring uh the year in film that was 2020 the very strange year that was 2020 in film um very curious to see what um you know the oscars look like this weekend because steven soderbergh has talked about that he's trying to shoot it more like a film whatever the hell that means uh so it's going to be in 239 like widescreen and he said it's going to have this interesting kind of with the presenters playing versions of themselves he said um and i he said that they're giving more time for uh, speeches this year as well he's not going to cut people off because he wants it to be very cinematic looking so whatever the hell that means i don't know and he wants it to look and it's going to take just place gonna have like the, a yellowy orange filter oh absolutely it's going to have like very warm lighting that's for sure um and it's taking place at uh union station in los angeles as well as the dolby theater and a couple other satellite locations around the uh the globe because anyone who uh wants to accept their award has to go in person uh, which is an interesting choice. No Zoom calls, because again, Zoom calls aren't very cinematic. Suck it, Screen Life Cinema. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which we'll be reviewing so, a movie uh, from the yeah. Screen Life Cinema in, in the weeks to come. So Yeah, yeah. But Eric, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing well. It's it's strange. This, I mean, this season has been a long one when we think about the, the Oscar season and award season yeah. in general. And um, but also at the same time, it's like, I, I keep forgetting that the Oscar ceremony is on is April 25th and that yeah. it's going to be one of the producers is, is Soderbergh. And, you know, I, I hope that it is different because like, again, you think someone like Soderbergh might be able to interject some experimental quality to the proceedings. But at the same time, I mean, I could see it being very flat as well and just maybe kind of being something that backfires on on him and and everybody else that's sort of behind it because i mean this year has been you know or last year has been screen life the award season and that's kind of what it is and not that there's anything wrong with that i think that there can be some very candid and 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 sincere moments when you have somebody accepting awards 
on Zoom and realizing, you know, that their mic isn't on and it makes you feel a little less incompetent when you're in your or own Jason life. Jason Sudeikis is just wearing a hoodie or something Yeah, like or that. Jeff Daniels like, yeah. looks like he just got back from Home Depot. <laughs> it looks like his wife banned him to the guest bedroom to take a work phone call. Like that stuff is great. And I feel like some award shows have, you know, worked fairly well with this, you know, format. It does. And it's something I said about podcasts as well because i watch a lot of video podcasts and we are obviously we're not available on on video but yes um people um inviting them people into their homes essentially and you get to see their backgrounds eric's got a big uh, blu-ray wall behind not him not compensating sh- for anything whenever i'm on video i make my background a little bit nicer than i have right now but it, it's always interesting um seeing that but then I, I am very curious of what the hell he means by all of this stuff i assume it's just going to be a lot of you know steady cam shots and 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 you know it's going to be weird that it's in you know cinematic widescreen and 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 things like that but um and i have no idea what he means by the presenters will be playing versions of themselves and whether they pre-recorded the uh presenters or if that's all going to be live at different spots of union station it all sounds very um, kafka-esque which was one of soderbergh's first movies that he directed the franz kafka biopic with uh jeremy irons that he's re-edited uh because he didn't like the cut that was theatrically released by the weinstein company or miramax um, okay so we'll, we'll we'll see versions heightened versions of themselves will be very interesting I uh, yeah, I have no idea what that means, but um, I I I mean we're a sucker for the Oscars. I know you and I both, as jaded as you know people in this industry can be, and and as silly as award shows kind of are. Um, I I still every year get excited for the Oscars, and it's fun to theorize what's going to win. I still think it's a obviously a a huge deal to win best picture or best actor or best director or any of uh, just winning an Oscar in general, I still think is a huge deal. Even if a a movie like suicide squad has a, an Oscar, Um, (laughs) but uh, nothing against Jared Leto. Jared Leto uh, has an Oscar people. Yeah, that's true. And Rami Malek for a horrible, horrible movie. Um, Anyways, that being said, yes, you can make fun at some of the choices. You can kind of, never understand why that movie wins over this movie or why certain films get nominated over others or performances it's 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 a very strange kind of combination of entitlement campaigning um but it's also a morbid fascination a morbid curiosity for people like us because you know win or lose it doesn't change the movie ultimately like the movie is still the movie it's just it adds a pedigree for marketing and advertising, you know, both when the nominations are announced or when the campaigns are going and when, you know, critic blurbs are coming out. And then after when the film has won an award, I mean, it it cements this kind of almost legitimacy that, uh, you know, people will watch it because it's won this prestigious award in its field, that it is won the biggest award uh, considered in, in, you know, the world of movie making. And, you know, some people like I look at the the eight nominees that are nominated this year. I think seven of the eight nominees. I know some people don't like Mank. I, I do like Mank, but like Mank even if you don't include Mank, I think that the majority of the nominees for Best Picture this year are all really solid and worthy of winning. And it's 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 been kind of odd because we've had the strange year of 
not going to the cinemas, watching everything at home, watching them on Netflix, on Amazon Prime, et cetera, et cetera. But of the crop of those movies nominated, I would say that that is a pretty damn good group of films. And to see movies like Nomadland and Sound of Metal not only competing in Best Picture, but in multiple categories and possibly even taking home a few of those awards. If it was a regular year, Nomadland would be the Dark Horse nominee. Like the, and Not it would, the front runner. And it would just yeah. be, you know, happy to be nominated. It being, you know, the front runner going into this is exciting. And it feels like such a wonderful potential follow-up win to Parasite where it's I totally agree with that. You know, yeah. we're not and just I, gonna I, get something for and I know you really love Promising Young Woman as well, which which is, you know, another film that again, like I think does benefit from the season that we had, but also it's a good enough movie to be worthy of being nominated and it wouldn't be yeah, otherwise. I'm, I'm pretty much with you where I yeah, I'm not with you with Mank. And then what was the other one that you don't think is deserving? Oh, Trial of Chicago that. Seven. But that's oh, kind yeah. of I'm, like, and I'm with you on that. It's kind but of that like is your the one where film and it would <laughs> it would be the the front runner if it wasn't a Netflix film. And yeah, I know you've said that time and time again, and I'm with you. I remember seeing that movie, and I think one of the first things I texted you was that movie was very okay, and I guarantee you it'll get a hundred nominations at the Oscars because like it's just that kind of movie. But it didn't it, get the most nominations. Perfect. Mank got no. ten. Yeah, because Mank I think care for me, about Mank. <laughs> yeah, but I think Mank from a technical standpoint is obviously much more interesting than yeah. uh, Trial of the Chicago Seven. But Trial of the Chicago Seven, that perfectly mediocre Oscar baity movie that will go super super far. And I'm totally with you. I don't even hate the movie. It's it's something we talked about that the more it got like accolades and stuff the the less you like it because you're like oh, it's just okay yeah uh, there's more I'm passion for like like even if excluding nomadland which is the front runner there's more passion for promising young woman and sound of metal and the father and minari like the father right now is really gaining a lot of momentum because it is finally being released uh, you know, on VOD, oh, on VOD and, and things yeah. like that. So people are starting to really catch up with it and and what have you. But like, there's more passion for those movies than there are the two kind of big Netflix films, Mank and Trial of the Chicago 7. And the other thing that's kind of funny with Mank, the joke is, is that a film that celebrates, you know, the writer didn't get nominated for original screenplay, screenplay. for yeah, Jack yeah. Fincher's script, you know, posthumously. So that's also kind of comical that it's a movie about a writer and sort of the unsung hero of Hollywood not getting the nomination in a writing category. Yeah. And I think we're in the exact same boat when it comes to the best picture nominees. Um, so I, I'm a thousand percent with you and, and jumping on your point earlier of like what the Oscars is good for or what it does. Yes. Wh whatever wins, you know, in the major categories usually gets a little bump after the Oscars, um, uh, whether, you know, now that they're available on video or streaming or, or whatever, um, whatever wins will get this bump. A lot of people watched Parasite that wouldn't have watched Parasite because it won Best Picture. And I think that is a good thing when a movie like Parasite wins. And then even going further than that, I think the Oscars, it's just from a 
you know, a pedigree standpoint, if you win an Oscar, that's going to help you further your career as well, whether you're an up and comer or, or, you know, a veteran or anything like that, like that stuff, as much as it might seem silly and awards are stupid, like that stuff's still going to help you either get more money on your next project or get funding on a project that might not necessarily have gotten funding before. Uh, like look at Barry Jenkins for an example with Moonlight, like that. He He's didn't now make making that Disney so- money with Lion King too. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like stuff like that really, I think, does help your career, especially if you're someone who hasn't made a movie in a long time, like in Barry Jenkins' case, or someone who's up and coming, or even again a veteran. And we've seen like with people like Fincher, it doesn't always necessarily, um, you know, it just depends on the personality as well. But Fincher doesn't have to worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was already a name. Where where Barry Jenkins was still like. I mean, even even if you look at that season, you know, the 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 2016, 17 season with both La La Land and Moonlight. Moonlight had what a, a, that, a, what a had a ceremony. had a climb to go. Like in terms like Damien um Chazelle had whiplash behind him at that point. So like he's he had some cachet and credibility where Barry, I mean, you know, uh medicine for melancholy was this small little independent movie made in 2008 that nobody saw. And like, you know, he was struggling to make anything after that. And yeah. so he was working at banana Republic. Yeah. And yeah. Telluride, Looking great right? probably yeah. too. Like he always oh, yeah. does great style, but um, you know, Not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's just, no, that no, no. And, and a lot of filmmakers so are, get after, in that position yeah. where you have to take a, you know, another job. I mean, James Grace talked about that as well, where like, you know, just because you direct, Brad Pitt in a movie doesn't necessarily mean I mean you're making you, a you know, ton of money. Yeah, exactly. You might make a couple hundred grand on on a film, but then you might not be working for the next five years. Yeah. So well, then there's like, people like Paul Schrader who you know gets yeah. his first Oscar nomination for First Reformed, and everybody was upset that like you know Ethan Hawke who deserved to get nominated for Best Actor didn't, but Paul Schrader could give a fuck about awards about the Oscars. Yeah, even Frances McDormand, I love that she hasn't shown up to any award show hashtag my Meryl Streep every yeah every award show I see it's just a photo of Frances McDormand so I wonder if she will attend the Oscars um I'm very curious especially because you have to go in person and like um, she could win two that that night because she produced Nomadland it's nominated as a producer as well as in the best actress category and yeah I I I'd be surprised to see if she um if she shows up, but uh, I do love the Oscars. I always have fun watching them last year with parasite, I think was a thrill. Um, and uh, God, I can't believe that was right before the pandemic. Cause I remember watching that that happened. Cause I remember watching that with friends, right? Like I remember people coming over to watch that Oscars and like this year, um, whether we watch it over discord or we all watch it our own separate ways. Like I thought about doing a live stream like or WWE, like that, right? But <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's our Royal rumble. Yeah. Or our WrestleMania. Um, but our super bowl or whatever you want to call it. But like, I, I don't know whether I'm just going to watch it on my couch or I thought about live streaming it, but then also live streaming, at least our reactions. But I don't think we have a built up live streaming or video audience quite yet to do something like that i think we got to build up to that so um i don't think we'll do that but um we will do a um reactions next monday morning post show Um, yeah post show it might just be like a shorter half hour hour episode where we kind of talk about the results and and the show in general but (coughs) 
<laughs> excuse me, I got to get a water in a second when I ask you um, what you've been watching. But we'll get into Oscar predictions later in the show. Uh, we'll do our regular kind of rigmarole of, uh, of what we've been watching and trailer reactions and a little bit of news. And then our big topic will be what we believe will happen this Sunday at the Oscars. So I'm um, looking forward to talking to that uh, later in the show. Uh, but Eric, um, it's been a little while. Um, what have you been watching in the last couple of weeks? Well, Matt, I've been digging into, the... I'm going to grab a water. You, you, all right, Matt, you grab kids. that water. You, you know, you get liquidated, you get hydrated, you, you do your thing. Um, I've been watching, uh, some of the Wong Kar Wai movies, Chunking Express in the mood for love. We'll be talking a little bit about Chang Chi. Tony Lung, uh, is, featured throughout that trailer. So watching in the mood for love recently again, uh, which I think is uh Wong Kar Wai's masterpiece and chunking express is, is very close to that as well. Um, it's a beautiful box set from criterion. And um, again, also talking about Barry Jenkins, who takes a huge influence from just from a cinematic style, uh, cinematography wise from Wong Kar Wai um, is, is very much worth, uh, picking up that box set, it's 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 fantastic. So I've been making my way uh, through those movies, and and I would definitely say revisiting both in the mood for love and Chunking Express. Which again, the first time I was introduced to Wong Kar Wai and 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 Chunking Express was because of Quentin Tarantino, because Tarantino was the guy yeah. that kind of like was like you need to see this movie, and and he kind of had his own like little sub label with Miramax after Pulp Fiction, and that was one of the movies he released. Uh, through it so um always always good to watch the the best of some of some of Wong Kar Wai's movies I think are a little too slow it's like watching paint dry it's so beautiful but at the same time story wise or plot wise it can be meandering but if you're in the mood for it um it's very much um a sumptuous uh watch and I think that it is uh a a beautiful again a beautiful blu-ray box set from Criterion Matt's looking back at, uh, are you looking at Georgie? <laughs> no, my sister was asking if I was recording. Um, yes, Sarah. Yes. Yeah, Eric's like, yes, we are. Um, yeah, I've seen, uh, I put Chunking Express on when it was on the Criterion channel um, when I first subscribed uh, way back. Um, but I haven't been exposed to much uh, uh, work on why, but like, uh, it's just one of those things. I have been shout out to my friends, uh, Rihanna and Kevin, because, um, this just sparked, uh, a thing they're doing. I think their own, um, show now I gotta, f- I'll get the actual title, but, uh, on Instagram, you can follow the Kevin McGuire, um, and him and my friend Rihanna, who I'm very close friends with, had a call with them on Friday night, which was actually very, very nice. Uh, they've been in the pandemic. They got like hella into movies and they were already into movies, but, um, Eric, you got a shout out too on the phone call because, uh, they, Did you call every night that on, and we were doing like a zoom call with them with, uh, Nick Papadakis and his wife, Jen. Oh, he just became a Jen. Canadian citizen too, uh, right? A Canadian citizen. Congrats to Nick for uh, my old roommate uh, from Australia. He is now a Canadian citizen. Also, his wife, Jen, is pregnant. So congrats to Jen. Papa Nick. Uh, Yeah, Papa Dacus. That's his last name. Um, And then uh, Kevin and Rihanna, um, they've just got like their pandemic thing has been uh, getting really into Letterboxd and getting really into 
uh, watching uh, films and and going through their list of like filmmakers and classics and things like that. They've been way like remember I always talk about that I have this huge list of you know movies that are absolutely fantastic, but I've just never seen. Uh, and I'm a, a garbage human, and I only watch you know shit that is new, or I go to my Marvel. you know comfort food of Marvel or some sort of stupid comedy or action movie or eighties or action movie or whatever. Um, I I don't sit down and consciously go, okay, I got to watch all the films of X director or here's the top one hundred films of all time on whoever Edgar Wright's list or or something like that sight and sound uh, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, sight and sound or something like that. I but they've been so great at um doing that. Like every night I see that they watch usually something a little bit newer and something uh, like a classic and uh shout out to them. You guys should check out uh I got to find the show that they're doing cuz I think I want to get them on this show because they've been doing this and uh they'd be great for the what we, they've been watching cuz they've been watching uh absolute um astounding amount of movies um and some of them i'm like oh wow good for you guys because these are all movies that i've wanted to watch but you guys actually have committed to you know actually doing it where i am just a piece of shit no it can be overwhelming though as well like when you're when you're looking at like lists of the you know like the 100 greatest movies of all time or like even subgenres of those lists of like you know the 100 greatest movies to be made from this era to this era or this particular genre or this filmmaker uh, it, it almost becomes too much. And I feel like when you're younger, you're dumb and you think that like, <laughs> you know, you can get through all that stuff where like, I remember the first kind of list that I took on was, was Siskel and Ebert's top 10 list from 1969 to 97-98 when, when Gene Siskel passed away. And I went through all of those movies. Like I remember downloading or uh, printing pages of their lists on like Chicago Time and Chicago Tribune and like going through each of those movies. And then afterwards, like I I, I loved it. But at the same time, like you got to go at your own pace. You got to kind of pick like what you're you're interested in and what your field is like, you know, like if you want to like, uh, you know, watch these movies, that's great. But if you're watching them just to check them off then that might be a problem as well because are you giving the movie the chance that it deserves instead of just watching yeah. it for the sake of because you have to you, you have gotta to. be like yeah. you gotta almost do it organically to the point where you you want to watch it like you're in the mood for that movie and it's not necessarily a checklist kind of thing which it seems like that's the route that they're taking yeah um, i mean this so this pandemic if there is a silver lining to it has been that it's given opportunity for people to kind of just maybe ruminate and give different styles of filmmaking a chance and sort of go with you know the the tone that maybe a filmmaker they're not as familiar with um whether it be you know a Wong Kar Wai or you know checking out other box sets that Criterion's released recently with the Agnes Varda or, you know, Fellini box sets or stuff like that, or something that's on movie, you know, like that's not uh, Netflix or Amazon prime, which there's yeah. nothing wrong with watching anything on Netflix <laughs> or Amazon prime, but like, you know, taking that chance on that weird art movie that maybe you've looked at for, you know, five years that's sitting on your cell- shelf and being like, you know what? I am going to watch the Decalogue now and, and, and sort of dig into that and, and give it a go. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I've always liked the idea of like a movie club, like a book club of like, and I've been toying around whether with untitled movie conversations or we've toyed around with a fourth podcast or a third podcast, depending on how we want to 
rearrange everything of like and it's something i remember we used to do back on movie monarchy even of like picking one movie of like hey this is something eric suggests or something matt suggests or adriana when we did uh the podcast with her um of like here's something that you should we should all watch and talk about next week or something like that and uh, i've always been I've always leaned towards like filmmakers, which is like a good way for me to get interested in something and then go through a filmography. I've always liked doing that. So that's like something, but I still like have all the time in the world right now. And like, I mean, finally we talked about over the Christmas break, I finally watched the Godfather movies, right? Like those were those three, you know, things that were a blind spot in my knowledge for the longest time, just because it felt so daunting to like actually sit down and watch all three of those. I still and don't I count you watching the Godfather three. You didn't watch the Coda. original theatrical yeah. cut. So um, maybe one day, but like uh, again, I have like uh, the Stanley Kubrick collection and I'm like, I've seen a good chunk of his movies, but I haven't gone through and watched every single one. Right. And like, again, it's just, it, I think no matter what, type of you know film fan you are like i i think it doesn't matter if you haven't seen any classics or if you've only watched modern stuff like watch what you want to watch and what interests you and i don't think that makes you any less or more of a cinephile or a or a fan of movies or anything than it does someone who has a vast knowledge of film history it's just uh, to me and it's i go back to that with criticism and 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 stuff like that too i think there are different forms of criticism and it's all very subjective and and i think there is a way that you can objectively argue if a movie is good or bad or value the history of a film or be like a film historian but i i really like i don't think it makes you you know any less or more of a you know uh, i know more about film if you've seen all these movies i'm just like just I go back to the like, just watch what you want to watch, man. If those movies interest you, go back and watch them. If they don't, then watch the new movies that come out every week. Like it's, it's really up to you. I mean, there's part of me that does want to go back. Uh, and I know some guy, someone gotten shit for this, uh, or go, not gotten shit, but people were making fun of him because he posted on Twitter and I'll talk about it on the show because whoever's listening to this at least likes us. So they're not just going to make fun of me, but like, um, he talked about how it's just hard for him to go back and watch old movies. And like, he just can't, he can't watch something that's in black and white or in mono sound or four by three or whatever. And I'm not necessarily like flat out. Like I can't watch a 24 um, movies. (laughs) Yeah. Or like, I can't watch something that's old. Like that's not in my brain. It's just what, entices me to watch movies i i'm so up to date with every new release we untitled movie reviews being our probably our biggest thing and we just hit 200 reviews and i like to make sure that i watch basically every big movie um or most of them you're you're even better than me because you you review big and small stuff and we review some small stuff on here too but um i stay so up to date with current movies that i find it hard to you know, I don't want to spend every waking moment of my day watching movies. I have other interests, which I'll talk about, you know, it, it, we kind of spun off topic, but in this, in this, what we've been doing or what we've been watching. So, um, but I still have this incredible backlog of movies that I don't think I'll ever get through, but there's God, I need, and you've been so gracious and kind sometimes of like, watch these horror movies or watch these things or, or watch this thing. And I'm like, yeah, I will. And then I never do it. But that's the but um, this thing. It's a recommendation. It's not, you know, like I'm not, 
telling you you have to watch these. It's not but a I mandate. I do own all four American Pie movies. Well, that's great. And I have seen them. So <laughs> I'm looking over on my I've Blu-ray seen shelf, so. three of them. American you Pie. You haven't? No, I've seen three of them. American Pie, American Pie 2, and American Wedding. Um, oh, but and American Reunion. Reunion. No, no, I did see Reunion. Yeah. So okay, I was thinking. Yeah. I was thinking the direct no, video direct, ones. No, those don't count. Okay. Those don't count. I mean the main timeline, the, the main timeline of American Pie. Because how of, many direct um, video American Pie movies are oh there? Oh, God, there's like, probably like 45. And they're all shot in Toronto, too. Like they, a yeah, lot of them shoot in Toronto. For dirt cheap, for like with they're like the Saw movies and stuff like that. Yeah, great. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, what else uh what have i been watching or eric do you have uh, you want to yeah i'll just quickly go? i'll quickly uh yeah. go through a couple more things um so i matt i had a bit of a uh a, a revelation um i re-watched please uh under the skin jonathan glazer's movie someone else did that recently i saw on and Twitter too. It, it was partly because is it an anniversary or anything no, or no 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 it was more because of i had to i did an interview with ben wheatley for um in the earth and I rewatched that as well. We we reviewed it here on the show for Sundance. So I rewatched it to kind of get a refresher before interviewing him. That interview, shameless self-promotion, will be on Rogers in May uh, when it's available on VOD. Um, but it weirdly wanted – like it kind of – the first time I saw Under the Skin, I had this – I had a horrible experience watching that movie because you were at TIFF. I remember it, meeting up with it you. It was after. at the Princess of Wales Theater. Uh, Adriana was there, actually. Uh, Adriana yeah, went, I met up with you guys after. Yeah, and we, that, yeah. we saw it and we got put in the uh, top right hand corner balcony of the Princess of Wales Theater. And for people that don't know, like if you're in a corner on a balcony in that theater, there's a giant pillar. <laughs> there's a giant pillar and the screen just doesn't look. Like it just looks like you're on an angle the whole time, and it doesn't look like you're getting that full it's, immersive experience. Ima- it's three stories, right? So yeah. there's three balconies, right, or two balconies, two balconies, two balconies and the yeah. main floor. Yeah. So main floor and two balconies. So you were on the second balcony, right at the top. Yeah, and yeah. it was like in the corner, and in the corner, <laughs> and the whole time I'm sitting there, and I'm just hating the experience. And I think that partly went into me watching it, and like. I was looking at this more as an art film than I was a horror movie. And it was funny because I also afterwards talked to um, a a friend of mine and and a colleague of ours, uh, uh, Kurt Halfyard, and I gave him his opening line for his review um, that he he took from me, which I didn't mind. I said, please take it, um, where I said that under the skin is like a Venus flytrap. You know, you think you're getting – one kind of movie because you're being lured in by, you know, a big movie star in this art house film. But then, you know, when you're sucked into it and you're watching it, it closes and you realize that you're in something that is not what you expected it to be at all. And it's a trap. Um, But having rewatched it this weekend, um, I was kind of amazed by how not only sparse and experimental it was with, Joe Hansen's character kind of roaming Scotland and sort of, you know, her character being this predator alien and picking up guys and, and sort of luring her, them back to her lair and sort of absorbing them in this weird kind of almost wavelength kind of way. Um, but I was just impressed with the filmmaking and, and I think Jonathan Glazer is a great filmmaker, but he's one of those guys that only makes a movie every you know, 10, 15 years. I mean, under the skin was back in 
2012, 2013. Uh, and like, it was one of those films. Like I love sexy beast was the film that I was always like, I love that movie the most because it has sort of more of a structure to it. And Ben Kingsley is amazing in that film. Um, and being a heist movie. Um, but watching this again, I was just kind of completely taken aback and it may be, the best a24 film or the second best next to moonlight um in, in my opinion so i'm excited to actually re-watch it again at some point maybe during halloween and looking at it completely as pure horror because i think that's what it functions as but the filmmaking is so refined and and cool. different from what you would expect it to be so yeah I, I i had a really great experience re-watching uh under the skin i've always wanted to watch it i just haven't got around it's an unsettling it. movie but you also again like Wong car wise stuff you have to be patient with it you have to kind of let it sort of consume you absorb you yes yeah. exactly um and then i uh re-watched i got a blu-ray from uh kino lorber of uh, the hotspot, which will be available on Blu-ray for the second time, but the first time individually, because Shout Factory had it, but they put it as like a double bill with one of their double features. But this is a uh, individual release on May 6th. And this is directed by Dennis Hopper, who after kind of having his comeback with both Hoosiers and um, Blue Velvet, um, went back to directing again. And he directed this like early 90s, late 80s, sleazy sexy neo-noir with don johnson who was still kind of riding high off the success of miami vice uh co-stars uh virginia madsen and jennifer Connolly. there's not much in way of special features on the blu-ray it's 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 pretty much bare bones but the transfer is nice enough and it's kind of like your classic like you know character kind of digs himself into a hole that he can't get out of don johnson plays like a car salesman who kind of has this fling with jennifer Connolly's character but then also with virginia madsen Madsen's character and sort of again finds himself in a situation that he is struggling to get out of. It's it's a fairly conventional erotic thriller neo noir, but it's also a solid one. Like it just it, it kind of feels like if you're in the mood for that genre, that will kind of you know hit the spot, the hot spot. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Could put that on the Blu-ray, baby. Um, I what the hell have I been watching? Um nothing really. Everything I've been watching has been for review, so you guys can check out our Love and Monsters review. Uh we'll talk about Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat Annihilation on our Mortal Kombat review coming up. Um our review for Mitchells versus the Machines will be out on Wednesday as you're listening to this the 21st of April, so you guys can check that out. Uh Balls of Fury I watched <laughs> Uh, so, you know, the homies over, actually, we have a couple kind of funny things. So on our last episode, we plugged, uh, the watch along that we were going to do, but Eric and I did watch Bloodsport uh, with the homies over at kind of funny, uh, Snowbike Mike and, um, and Nick Scarpino, Eric and I joined them for a watch along of, on, of Bloodsport on April 8th. Um, the, the VOD is still up, I believe on their Twitch channel. So you guys, if you wanted to, you know, watch blood sport and get our live commentary to it. Um, you guys can, uh, pop over and, and still watch that VOD. Uh, but Eric, I had a great time. I think it was, um, it was fun watching it with like blood sport, not a great movie. Um, How dare you? 
I I still had a lot of fun with it though, like watching it with you, Mike and Nick. Uh, it was fun to just you know they had chat open on Twitch and people were giving fun facts and we were kind of just talking about how you know silly the whole thing was and and Jean Claude Van Damme and bringing up you know sudden death and other van damme movies and fun facts and things like that so i had a blast watching with them hope to do another one with them uh down the line and i want to get nick back nick's wanted to come back on the show uh so he'll probably come on this show since we already did the conversations um with him but we'll get nick back and we'll talk about more 80s action movies and whatever else nonsense but i had a good time and and it's talking about what we talked about earlier in the show uh that's kind of what they're doing over there with mike uh snowbike mike like mike has such a blind spot when it comes to just movies in general he's always been such like a, a video game guy and and that's been his thing so this whole thing that they're doing is nick loves dumb 80s action movies so he's been showing Mike a bunch of these silly eighties and nineties action movies that Nick really loves. And then Mike's just been doing these watch along. So Mike is watching all of these movies for the first time. So they watch point break for the first time. They watch the running man for the first time. They watched, uh, uh demolition man for the first time anything with man in the title uh, yeah stuff like that so um i had a blast eric thank you for joining us too because it was fun to get you involved as well oh it was great and um yeah i mean blood sport's not a a, a necessarily a, a a masterpiece in terms of like 80s you know beefcake cinema or anything like that but it is a ridiculous kind of fun movie that weirdly was the launching point of jean-claude van damme's career um but yeah, it's it's more of having that experience, especially I think it even is more appreciated just in terms of, you know, where we are now and in and, and terms of having any sort of social interaction is mostly, uh, you know, screen life um, based. So it was nice to 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 do that and set aside that evening and and have some fun sort of talking about that um, time wise. We, we went until uh midnight because uh, oh, yeah, of where we were yeah 1 a.m yeah our time yeah because they did it on west coast time so eric and i didn't start the movie until like 10 30 or 11 o'clock i think because mike kind of mm-hmm. we kicked it off with like a half hour mini podcast talking about you know favorite movie snacks but you've and also stuff like that and, so. and you've also been keeping up even though you haven't been watching any movie stuff i mean you've been keeping up with uh falcon and the winter soldier and invincible yep. so it's not like yep. you haven't been watching anything and i also have to give you a a, a a thank you and a shout out um i have an interview coming up in the next week or so on rogers tv with robert kirkman with the kirkman uh on invincible um and the questions that i asked him were prepared by matt rarbeck i helped yes uh and gladly will help anytime um so i'm excited to see that uh interview um but yeah i've been keeping up with yeah that's been most of my watching has been like uh i guess fridays have been thursday nights and friday mornings have been awesome and shout out to amazon for putting up invincible on thursday nights because they kind of know that they're competing with falcon and the winter soldiers so <clears throat> well this is their final week uh, they don't have to do it on thursday yeah night now. so maybe the invincible finale well they'll still probably put it up thursday night i like them going up in the evenings instead of the mornings i just feel like that's better for everyone yeah. but well especially because if you don't want anything <clears throat> spoiled for you right exactly so i can watch invincible right at um, you know, I th- it's usually up around like seven, eight p.m. our time and five p.m. uh West Coast time. So I've been watching Invincible on Thursday nights, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Friday mornings. Uh, absolutely loving both of them for 
very different reasons. Obviously, we're going to talk about more MCU stuff with Shang-Chi later in the show and other things like that. But uh, yeah, I've been loving Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and um, they've been going to some places that I didn't expect them to kind of go head into uh, with like race issues in the MCU and and becoming a black Captain America, as well as dealing with, you know, uh, I think Wyatt Russell has been amazing as John Walker and where his character is going. And um, I mean, the surprise cameo on the last episode was jarring and i don't want to give it away in case people aren't caught up but like um it's you probably already know it or not but i'm not going to say it here but that person showing up was really intriguing uh and then reading that vanity fair article of what the plans are for that character possibly i think is really really cool uh i thought the action set piece uh with them fighting john walker on the latest episode was really really cool um and uh it's all leading like the isaiah bradley stuff uh is is heartbreaking and and just topics that i didn't think they would you know jump right into into the mcu i think they needed to because i think you get to a point in in any franchise or series whether it be something that's geared to you know families or you know comic book fans or things like that and you don't address them and it's very direct it's very blunt in terms of how it is handling it but i think it needs to start there because it really hasn't gotten to talk about that kind of stuff yet and i think that it only should continue and integrate it further into not just this series, but into the rest of the, you know, the MCU in general. I mean, I think that that's important, an important conversation to have. And I think also another one to have, which might be a little bit tougher, but, and what I mean by tougher is that it's, you know, sexuality is a very strange thing to talk about in, you know, a PG 13 or PG rated you know, material. Um, but I think that that's something as well that they need to address because superhero movies in general don't really talk about sexuality at all. You know, it's, it's very strange, even though so something characters you think are no- hypersexualized, but um, they're not doing that right now. And you, th- you hope that they do in th- the future. Yeah. I mean, they're hinting at it, whether it be talking about, you know, LGBTQ plus, or whether it just be talking yeah. about sort of just characters in general, sort of relationships and sort of what that, structure is like i think that those things are important in and if we're having those conversations about race i think that that's important to have that conversation as well and that should also be considered in in some of this yeah and i think we we will get there but one step um, at a time right like it's yeah yeah and i'm curious to see where it all ends up we got you know the finales coming up this week i hope to do a i know we kind of missed out on wandavision because there was a lot going on we didn't do like a uh a review of the whole series but maybe we talk about both wandavision and falcon and the winter soldier in um in a in an episode coming up uh but i'm i'm looking forward to it i'm enjoying the hell out of it like it's I, we're repeating ourselves, but I feel like the television format has really worked for Marvel and like this week to week kind of storytelling is, uh, I think been really, really great. And the quality hasn't, you know, faltered from film to television. Like it's still like premium action set pieces. It's and, premium and, VOD without the premium price. Yeah. Uh, Georgie, please don't play with the internet cord. <laughs> But cameo from Georgie. Of course, what are you doing? Get down. Come on. Sorry. Uh, And then Invincible. Um, I just... uh, I've been saying this for a while, and I want to give uh, Blessing 
at kind of funny credit for this too, because I, I heard him echoing the same statements. Um, Invincible feels like a Saturday morning cartoon for adults. And I just love that vibe for it. Like it's reminding me, it's reminding me of, you know, when I used to get excited to watch uh, Dragon Ball or just Sailor Moon or Ninja Turtles or Pokemon or, or whatever, but or now cartoons as a, that were based um, on R rated IP that are turned into kid friendly series, like toxic Avenger swamp thing. And now you have this version that was always R rated and was always geared towards adults or preteens. I mean, I, I talked to Robert Kirkman about this and he, he even said like, you know, like why not uh, don't cut out the middleman in this situation and actually have, uh, you know, these characters be who they are. And it's just funny now that you get like that full uncensored R rated cartoon experience, so to speak. Yeah. And I think it's been incredible and I love like I'm uh, rereading invincible right now. Excuse me. What's Matt is coughing. He's yeah. I'm trying to mute every time I cough. So I apologize. I don't know why I keep having a little tickle in my throat. Um, I, so I've loved the series so much and being, uh, I've talked about invincible. I think, when we first started this show, I think I started reading Invincible for the first time. I remember it was when I was off from work in between Rogers and and when I was starting my job at Sid Lee. And uh, in that time, I read all 144 issues of Invincible for the first time. And I'd heard for years how how good it was. And I was just like, okay, maybe there's there's too much. I can't get through all of that to, uh, to really um, catch up with things. And I uh, I read it and it was one of the best superhero stories I'd ever read. Um, you know, years passed and I heard about the movie and the TV show. This TV show premieres on Amazon. Never thought it would happen, but we get an R-rated Amazon original hour-long show about Invincible. And people like yourself, Eric, my mom is watching this show. I got Nevis to watch it. So all these people who you know, heard me talk about Invincible or would never have read the comic are experiencing the story for the first time. And it's so much fun watching with everyone who's experiencing it for the first time, because like I forgot a lot. I just remember the series being great, but there's 144 issues. I forgot about a lot of the intricacies of the things that happen. I knew the big things that happened, but there's a lot of smaller plot lines, characters that come back, character development, things like that. I went back after episode four and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to reread the series. Cause like I'm so into the show right now and it's killing me week to week to like wait. And I want to re-experience the story. So I jumped back in and it was also out of like curiosity of like all of these things, like they've changed a lot for the show. And I know that they've changed things, but I forget exactly how they played out in the comics. So I want to go back and see how much they've changed or where we're at in the series compared to the comics and things like that. So I, I started reading it and then I'm at issue 75 already. So I'm like halfway through the series and I've read, you know, almost 2000 pages of, of comic books in like a week and a half. And I've spent hours per day the last like week and a half, just reading invincible. I bought all three compendiums. I started getting them from the library. Um, but then I ran out of my 10 free library takeouts per month and I'd have to wait another month for 10 more. And I'm like, I can't wait. So the compendiums were on sale for $20 each on comiXology. I highly suggest anyone who's interested in, in them, uh, because you're watching the show to maybe pick them up. It was 60, 60 bucks American to 
buy the whole series. So over, you know, 3,300 pages of, of excellent storytelling. So I picked those up and I've just, I can't put it down. And I got to, uh, I got to the point where it's, it, I'm halfway through the series and I, I cannot believe I'm there's still half of it to go and I've forgotten so much of it, but then it keeps getting what the series is now, even on TV is we're haven't even scratched the surface of what invincible is. And that's what excites me so much. And I hope, I hope I pray that it's been getting, you know, enough viewers and stuff on Amazon to you know, keep going. And I know Amazon has enough money that they could see the potential of this being gigantic where right now it feels like a pretty, you know, standard superhero show. There's the twist with Omni-Man that they had in the first episode. You're the mystery behind why he did what he did and Debbie trying to figure out, you know, if he did it and things like that. And then you have Invincible learning about his powers and facing different heroes or villains for the first time. And it's establishing the universe, establishing the rogues gallery, establishing who he is. And um, I really hope I have an idea of where the, the season's going to end. Um, and it really, that will be a big moment and a, and show you the scale of this show. But now where I'm at episode or issue 60 up until 75 where i am right now it takes this gigantic turn or everything that they were building up for those first 60 issues uh, culminates in this 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 big event and um it's just the series gets more and more insane and bigger and the character development and the way that they bring back villains that you might have seen once and and shown them to be like a huge deal later in the series or character development through mark or his his mother or uh you know amber or adam eve um or samantha and and just all of this stuff that i'm like i see them planting the seeds for a lot of this stuff in that first season and i can't wait till it blows people's minds in what probably is going to be season two, season three of the show, which but you I don't hope have to wait that there. long though, either. Cause like some of the stuff that you're describing, like even how Titans introduced in yeah. the first, one of the first episodes voiced by Mahershala Ali. And then the, there's an interesting sort of payoff to his character or bringing him even more of a character arc in, you know, episode four or five. Right. So yeah. it's there. Like it's, it's interesting how, like, like you mentioned, like there's some stuff that, that, you know, having talked to you about it, that, that comes up, that's introduced and it's not forgotten about. It's just that, you know, like there will be repercussions or results to those sort of seeds being sown later on. And, and that's kind of interesting to me. And like, and again, like, I think, you know, it's interesting, like you keep talking about the idea that, you know, you're, you're, you're living vicariously through people like myself or your mom or, or people that haven't watched it for the first time and kind of enjoying it again that way as well. And I think you'll be doing that in a similar way with the last of us TV show when that yeah. starts as well. So, and that's, that's what I mean when I've argued for the longest time, when people hear about, you know, a comic book or a video game, getting an adaptation, they're like, well, the source material is already there. Like you could be doing what I am doing right now and just read the incredible storytelling in the 144 issues of <clears throat> invincible, or you could go back and play the last of us part one and part two. Um, but 
That being said, my mom's never going to do that, right? You're probably never going to do that. And that's totally okay to me. Like some mediums aren't for people. There are great novels that someone will tell me, this is a fantastic book. And I'm going to go, that's great. I will wait for the movie. (laughs) There's no way I'm going to read that book. Like it's just, that's not my preferred medium to enjoy it's not your entertainment, cup of tea. right? Yeah. And and I think that's totally fine. That doesn't I, I that's why when someone's like, oh, we don't need a Last of Us TV show, or did Invincible need to be a show they could just read the comic? I'm like, that's to me so closed-minded of forcing people to en- enjoy the things that you enjoy through a medium that they might not want that they just don't have an interest in. Yeah. And I, I think yes, people it need expands. to have an open it mind. It expands people's <laughs> It expands the reach of that IP. I mean, it's the same exact thing. I mean, not just with Invincible, but even with Marvel. I mean, comic books, there was a time when comic books were niche. Like that was a thing that only like nerdy kids liked or, you know, people that were sort of obsessed with that. Now it's so mainstream. Yeah. I mean, Marvel went almost went bankrupt at a time, which is why they sold to Disney. Like it's... It's really Marvel was in a rough spot in like the I think the like uh, early 2000s kind of thing, like um, or even in the late 90s when they sold off all the movie rights to their characters because that's the Sony only thing and that Fox could, and things because like that. that's the only thing that could make the money because the comic book industry was in the toilet <clears throat> and like no one really cared about comics until like what you said, nerdy kids like I liked comics growing up and stuff like that, but I even fell out of it as I got into high school and, and, and things like that when I thought I was too cool for it. And then um, that's why all that shit happened and why Marvel ultimately kind of sold to Disney is because they're like, we were struggling and um, Disney kind of resurrected Marvel. And and, I mean, DC's always done, you know, they sold to to Warner at one point too, right? Like to Time Warner. And um, I don't know, it's it's fascinating. And Invincible being an even smaller thing than Marvel or DC because it was an independent comic book on image comics and i mean obviously robert kirkman has the clout of of the walking dead and 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 things like that that being a a runaway success on amc but even the walking dead comic was like invincible and walking dead were the comics that like cool kids read right like like it was almost like the indie con like oh if you if you're a real comic book it was the a24 of comics kind of yeah that's a good comparison right you'd be like oh you read spider-man or batman or whatever they're like populous blockbuster shit yeah exactly and then you but but then invincible still was that but it was i read spawn It was, yeah, Spawn is in Image Comics, right? Like stuff like that. And Spawn has a couple cameos in Invincible in the comic books because it was all under the Image umbrella. Um, anyways, uh, I don't know where I'm going with that. But like, yes, I love that I am being able to share these things with other people that, you know, I, 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 I hate people who are like, oh, you weren't like an original fan or whatever. Like I saw it when it was here. Oh, the bandwagoner thing. Yeah. yeah, that kind of thing. I'm like, fuck that, man. I'm excited that people now like this thing that I've been talking about for. I mean, I was late to the Invincible Party. I got there as it was ending, right? So there are people like I'm I'm way late. Like there's the Greg Miller's uh, Greg Miller from Kind of Funny. And I know I 
I talk about kind of funny all the time. Um, but Greg being, he's an OG comic guy. He's been a comic guy his whole life and invincible was something he got the whole kind of funny crew into. So Nick, we've talked to Nick about it. Um, Kevin, uh, Tim, he got them all to read it and then them all talking about it, got me to read it. And I even got in at the tail end of invincible. So when there was only a couple issues left, I think, um, I, uh, I finally decided to read it. And sometimes that happens with me where if something's about to end, I go, okay, now's my time. And like game of Thrones was that way. Harry Potter was that way for me. Um, invincible was that way for me. If something that's super popular is about to end, I go, all right, I'll just binge it now and I'll catch up and I'll be on the same Which page. Which is fascinating as because you are an early adopter when it comes to technology. You're usually like the guy that's on the cutting edge of like, trying a new app or or a piece of software or or do it like in that way and then but but i mean you do i think in in you entertainment were I am in, too, and lost but, though like from the beginning right i i think in thi- a lot of stuff i am but there's that stuff that i just miss out on for some reason and i won't start it halfway I'll, i'd rather like wait to the end because then i know i can get the full story i think you're kind of similar when it comes to television or things like that where you know i could catch up now but then i'm gonna be like will this sustain my interest week to week or month to month or will or, i be too and, busy with other things to keep that all lo- yes that i'll forget to then continue or it'll just kind of get lost in the shuffle of things where if i know there is an end point where it's like okay this is ending. I can go, okay, I can get the whole story now and I could be caught up with everyone and we can always, we can all be on the same page and invincible. I don't think was anything where I like consciously, I think it was just a time in my life where I was like, all right, I have a lot of time right now. I can read 144 issues of a comic book right now where, um, even right now, like you're, I feel like month to month, you almost have a new pastime or a new interest, whether it's a video game or a movie well, or not just or, even month or, to month, week to week, um, at this week point. to week. It's like you get into crafting or you get into cooking or you get into whatever. Or what's just the hot series find... that everybody's watching or binging yeah. on Netflix? You know, is it the queen's gambit or is it the last dance? Like it feels like, or tiger King, like it feels like every, like every week there's something new that is like the water cooler thing, you know, like for this day and age and and there's just so much of it and it's overwhelming um and that's also kind of why like when it comes to television i think as a kid like the stuff that i love the most you know the reason why i got into twin peaks not just because i loved it but it was done you know like i i remember watching that i mean also because my dad really loved it and and he kind of you know gave it to me to watch and i loved it as well but i think because it was there it was finished and i could watch it in its entirety from beginning to end and keep with it we're like lost i was on board at the beginning but i fell off around season four or five but then like you i came back to it when it was in its last season and i was i was happy that i did because i think the last season is is really is a strong finish um, yeah, but that's kind of how we're I in the minority that. there, but I'm, I'm with you. On well, that. I think that lo- those like, I mean, there are things about the last episode that are kind of like cheesy a little bit, but, but, Too I, religious, I, but yeah, but, but I do think it's very cinematic, like just in terms of like, I agree how it shot that last episode with the battle between like law and, and, yeah, and Jack, yeah, Jack is, is amazing on the cliff is really cool. Um, and shout out to Justin Roiland as motherfucking Doug Chester. 
uh, in the newest episode. Uh, yeah, it's really. I just think the voice cast has been awesome. Like um, in the latest episode with Ezra Miller as Da Sinclair, and you have Jonathan Groff coming in, and like the changes that they've made with like uh, his his best friend William and Rick Sheridan um, in the comics. It's not revealed that they are, you know lovers until much later like they're both played off as straight at uh, at the beginning of the comic series and then it's revealed as almost like a big shock later that they became roommates and then lovers and and roommates yeah and we're in the show i think they've they've uh adapted with the times that we're in and they're just like well let's just make them you know gay from the start and and i think that really kind of helps the story and i really love what they're doing with debbie grayson because like she becomes a much more independent character uh i think later in the comics but for the first big chunk of it she's just kind of omni man's wife like and like uh uh damien darkblood and and debbie's investigation of omni man um isn't really prevalent in the comics. Like it's handled very differently. And I loved the scene with, um, sorry, everyone, we're kind of spoiling certain things in invincible. So if you haven't watched it, I highly, I'm not really giving anything away. Um, you're talking more about the structure of the comic book versus the, the animated series. But I love the Debbie and art scene in the, in the latest episode, uh, of her kind of, you know, taking agency over this, uh, investigation and I love well she continues difference. where Damien Darkblood started off right yeah and I love with Art her trying to prove her case Art that doesn't happen in the comics that scene with Art where he's analyzing the costume and I think that's such CSI a Art? cool way yeah it's such a cool way of kind of putting the clues together and that isn't in the comic book and I just love how they're handling all that and um it's it's drastically changing the events because of the way that they're put in. Like the DA Sinclair stuff isn't until issue, you know, thirty something of the comics, and 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 uh, Mark is already in college and stuff like that. And um, so they're rearranging a lot of stuff. The Titan stuff is handled a little bit differently, but ultimately gets to the same point. Um, Doc Seismic, all the different villains that they're introducing, like they're really moving stuff around all the robot stuff is like you ultimately get there it's just it's interesting the way of storytelling on television and i think they've really improved some of the storytelling in the in the beginning of invincible because i think kirkman gets better as a writer as as the series goes on as he understands the characters more as he matures um you can really tell like it, it gets more ambitious it gets more it gets bigger in scope and I think he's bringing a lot of that into the TV show. Mind you, he only wrote the premiere and the finale and he has a writer's room working on the other stuff. But, um, I like the changes. Like I'm not precious over the book. Like the book is its own thing. And, um, if you want it, it's there, but much like the last of us with casting of Pedro Pascal and, um, Gabriel Luna, uh, who they just cast as Tommy, I believe. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Terminator um, Dark Fate. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I think like the changes there doesn't necessarily change the overall story. It just will slightly adjust the storytelling and, um, I'm loving invincible. Uh, it sucks that there's only two episodes left. I hope it gets a season two. I think it will, um, with the people involved, I think it will. 
And with an animated series, you'd think that they're probably already working on season two because you have to have such a long lead up on on that stuff. I don't think they would just pause. So I feel like they're probably just waiting until I think either the next episode if what's going to happen happens. And I think it, it is either this episode or after the finale, they'll probably announce that, you know, we're already working on season two and it's coming early next year or late this year even i don't think they would do two seasons in a year unless they really are far ahead but unless um, they start production on the film to kind of keep people interested in between the series yeah the film's going to be interesting because i talked to him about that um it was yeah it was an interesting bit that he gave yeah. me so yeah yeah i'm curious to see how they would do it because i was I, I rereading the comics because i'm like you could go a couple different routes because the the books the comic books almost deconstructed superhero comic books. The television show is kind of in the middle where it's sort of deconstructing just the superhero genre and, and and stuff like that, but still being very much a superhero show where the movie, you could almost take the route of almost deconstructing like Marvel movies and like kind of taking it from that standpoint of going, okay, we're not going to be able invincible is 144 issues long. We only have one story to tell in at most, probably two hours and 20 minutes if it's Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg directing and, and stuff like that. Um, you could take the approach that Marvel does and take one storyline from the comics and adapt that storyline much like you would take bits and pieces from a storyline from you know Captain America or Iron Man and turn it into you know a solid movie. It's not necessarily adapting all of Iron Man or all of Captain America. It's taking one moment. It's just that Invincible is such a linear story that it doesn't, it has arcs, but without the context of what came before it, it's hard to, I, me in my head, just take out a piece of it and, and make that into a movie, especially if it has to be an origin. Um, or the other route is like, I don't know, it's still in the same universe as the Amazon show, but it's you, it's now live action, but that would, I don't think would necessarily. No, I think he, he mentioned in the interview that thematically they would be connected, but in terms of continuity or story, they wouldn't. It'd be different. Yeah. And I mean, the, the comic goes into multiverse stuff in a, very interesting way and um i can't wait to see how they tackle all of that stuff um uh in the show because i like not spoiling anything in the comics but there's a, a heavily a villain that uses the multiverse and um don't they all it's it's yeah but it's it's really really intriguing and um God, I just I I love it so much, and I'll probably finish reading the whole series by the next episode that we do. So um, I can't wait for more. Can't wait to see where this season ends. But um, really, really loving Invincible, and then I also watched Slumdog Millionaire, which <laughs> is 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 good. Just gonna just throw that out there. Uh, if we're finishing up, the but what it we've segues been watching, nicely into um, uh, our Oscar talk i mean because yeah. it won best picture and directing and was a film that wasn't even going to get a theatrical release yeah and i remember it won the audience award at tiff yep. right people's choice and then it was the same year as hurt locker yeah at and TIFF. Hurt, locker hurt locker came, came out the year after the year after i remember yeah, that slumdog um, the wrestler steve mcqueen's hunger uh rachel getting married were all big films at tiff that year yeah and i remember being in college that film school um, when all of these things, cause it just, 
Slumdog Millionaire and the King's Speech was was just the year before. No, no, no. That was or, a couple years no, later. A couple years after. Yeah. What am I? Because I was twenty. You're probably thinking of a single man. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Which but, was 2009, um, which was also the same year that a serious man came out. Which again, a lot of man. <laughs> all flashbacks to my uh, film school days in college. So um, Nevis had not seen Slumdog Millionaire. So I was like, okay, um, you know, it's Oscars week. So why don't we throw on a former Best Picture winner? I haven't seen it since its release, I think. Um, I don't think it quite – it's still a good movie. Um, I, I still enjoyed it quite a bit, but um, – I don't think it's a masterpiece or phenomenal or I guess it was that year. Um, I looked at the best picture nominees and I'm like, all right, I don't really care for any of these movies really. So I'm fine with this winning, but <laughs> you, you weren't um, Jones in for the reader to win best picture. No, yeah. <laughs> so, cause I was like, after the movie, I was like, what else was nominated that year? Because I'm like, well, that was I, I also, think Slumdog- that was the year that like they decided to expand for, 2009 because dark Knight, dark didn't Knight or the wrestler yeah. you know yeah. so and those were two movies Where, that were much better but then again you, yeah. know, you also had movies like rachel getting married which is fantastic or like even yeah. things that would never get nominated but like let the right one in so like you know there there, there was stuff that was kind of again considered genre year, or yeah. yeah or blockbusters or things like that and then the next year you had movies like you know, District Nine get in or benefit from you know yeah. the preferential. That's ballot. when I was in college, I think, which I remember that. And yeah. Slumdog, I remember being at end of high school or whatever. And um, anyway, Young Slumdog, Dev Patel. Yeah, I love Dev Patel, and, and um, I think that Irfan Khan's great. The young kids in the movie, I think, are really, really good. Um, I just. I don't know. Danny Boyle's always one of those guys where I'm like, I wouldn't put him at the top of my list of like filmmakers that I'm like eagerly anticipating their movies. And his style sometimes to me is too much um, where I just, it, I think it gets in the way of the storytelling sometimes and is distracting. It also so dates, like, I think a little and it's bit. Vi- yeah. Well. With whether the video uh, style that he goes with or the choppy kind of, you know, lower frames per second or the swooping kind of camera pans and, and digitalness of it all that like, um, I just, uh, I, I just, there was something about it. And then from a storytelling standpoint, which is something I totally forgot of like him going through the, who wants to be a millionaire questions. And they just perfectly line up in chronological order to things that happened in his life. Like I like the idea that, okay, I know all of these answers because of the life that I, the life that I've lived like that is kind of fine with me. But when it's like, your first question is this, this happened when you were a kid. Your second question is this, this happened when you were a a young child. This one happens and you were a teenager and it's in chronological order of the questions he gets. How convenient. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. That story structure, you know, like I know, but it's, it's distracting and annoying. Like it's just like, that's what it is. A suspension of disbelief because it's also kind of, so even though it takes place in the real world, it's still somewhat it's of a fairy still, tale, right? Like, yes, exactly. And I can kind of forgive it for that. And it ends up being charming enough that like it ends up being enjoyable and you really do care about his journey and things like that. So I ultimately like the movie. It's just stuff I didn't realize watching it 10 plus years ago that um, – 10 plus years ago, yep. right? When did it come? 2008. Yeah, um, good Lord. Um, I just – I was like, all right, I liked that. I just don't 
I, I wouldn't necessarily call this a classic or anything. I think it's good. I, I, I but again, I haven't rewatched it in a while. And like the other thing I remember about a lot of Danny Boyle's movies, I mean, you already touched up on it in, in terms of like the, you know, him being an early adopter of digital technology. And, and I mean, you can see that with like the video camera kind of quality footage in 28 days later, which I think has not aged well. And then like him using red cams for Slumdog Millionaire and sort of, you know, they're very compact and easy to use, especially when you're navigating the streets of Mumbai or, you know, shooting in very smaller tight crevices or things like that. And they're not as heavy to kind of, you know, truck around, but also visually speaking, I mean, it's, it's gotten more advanced as we've moved on, you know, 10 plus 12 plus years uh, at this point from it. So, you know, like uh, something that is on the cutting edge to begin with, visually speaking, might not be uh, in the same, you know, might not look as great as it did years ago. But the one movie I will say of his that I I rewatched not too long ago that I, I loved uh, on a rewatch similar to under the skin where I had this weird epiphany. And I think it probably is one of his best movies is sunshine. And I remember the first time I watched sunshine, um, I was, I like, I like sunshine. Yeah. I, I remember kind of being a little bit underwhelmed because I wanted it to be alien in 2001, the way that Danny Boyle was describing it, but also be its own thing. And I think once it got to that third act and the stuff with Mark Strong's character being introduced in, in, in the third act, um, I kind of felt like, oh, it just becomes this derivative slasher movie. But then rewatching it, um, I have it on Blu-ray, but it's also available if you're in Canada on uh, Disney Plus Star uh, right now to watch. Um, it's an incredibly well thought out film. And I think a big part of why that movie works so well is because Alex Garland, Alex Garland yeah. wrote the script and not to say that everything that Alex Garland does, you know, turns to gold. I mean, like the beach speaking of like bad Danny Boyle movies, um, which Garland wrote the book the books much better. Uh, I hate saying that, but it is true. But the, the, that adaptation is kind of boring. I mean, it's cool that it takes place in Thailand and it looks beautiful, but it's kind of a, dull and uninteresting to watch and kind of loses its overall meaning. Um, But yeah, I think a big sort of aspect of what made some of Danny Boyle stuff work um, in his latter career, or like when we were moving away from train spotting was, you know, his collaborations with people like Alex Garland and, and, you know, Garland now making his, like Garland's also been rumored to have basically ghost directed dread, which makes a lot of sense. Um, But you know, you look at what Garland is doing now and you're like, okay, this is like the best stuff that I like from Danny Boyle when he was doing sci-fi and horror, you know, but now it's, it's, it's a little bit more, I don't want to say conventional, but it feels like it, 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 it knows kind of how to play within the boundaries of the genre that it's in. And, and Danny Boyle, as much as I like him being an experimental filmmaker, you go back and you watch some of his stuff and it's like, it doesn't hold up as well. Really hold up, but, yeah. but again, I think, I think sunshine and Steve jobs of his more I like recent Steve jobs stuff quite a bit, yeah. is, is really good. Um, train spotting is one of those movies that was of the time. Like never did it for me. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think it's fine. I think it's well-made. I get why it was influential of the moment, but when you look back at it, it's like fight club or the matrix where it's kind of like it had its day in the sun. And since then everybody's either, you know, taken from it and created their own versions of it for better or worse. And it's become kind of derivative or, or a footnote within sort of, you know, the, 
the influence that it has. Like you can never take away that, you know, the matrix is important for bullet time or things like that, but you can also say that, well, we've, we've progressed since then. And, you know, we've made other movies. There there have been other movies that have been made since then that have also used that again, better for worse, Zack Snyder um, and, and Christopher Nolan. But, you know, you're supposed to build on those things. And yeah, and that's what those movies kind of feel like. And also I think like something like fight club and train spotting are movies that are very much, like I think speak to younger people. Like, like I remember like being in my teens and thinking fight club really was awesome. Got me. Like it understood what being alienated was and same thing with train spotting and, and taxi driver too. But I think taxi driver is just a, a, is a better made movie um, overall and just is more timeless where those movies are timely. I haven't rewatched fight club in a long time, but I'd be curious to see how I feel as, you know, a 32 year old man now, instead of a, you know, teenager when I first watched it. Right. Yeah. So, um, that might be one. I want to revisit all Fincher's stuff. There's a filmmaker that I love, but I want to go through, I've seen all of his movies, but I just, um, <clears throat> have, I've went, when I was first getting into movies, cause I got into them a little bit later. I mean, I was, I watched, you know, populist stuff, but, um, when I really started to try to get into like interesting filmmakers that I liked, which are still in that popular realm, like a Fincher or something like that. But like, I remember watching the game with my dad, um, and not really getting it when I was younger. <laughs> um, and, but then still and Zodiac, well, Zodiac, we, we weren't really that young as 2007, six, seven, seven. Yeah. Uh, but I've wanted to go back and rewatch a lot of his stuff. Um, Okay, uh, moving on. Did you want to go into Oscar stuff now, or did you want to go into trailers and news and then Oscars at the end? Let's do trailers and news then. And uh, okay, uh, we do have breaking news: Olivia Coleman in talks to join Samuel L. Jackson in Marvel's Secret Evasion. So nice. very topical because we just—you'll uh, be able to check out our review for Mitchell's versus the Machines. Well, she's also nominated for Best Supporting Actress for the yeah. Father, which she's great so, in. Yep, exactly. So uh, Olivia Coleman just crushing it right now, getting that Marvel money. Yeah. Good for her. And she joins uh, Ben Kingsley Adir. Yes, yeah, who's also very, very good in One Night, um, Mi- One Night in Miami. Yes. Uh, let's do trailers first, though, Eric. Um, we got a bunch to go through here. Uh, I don't know where you want to kick off. So we have trailers. Uh, let me list them all here. So we don't need to go through the second Cruella trailer. It's more the same. Uh, but we have trailers for those who wish me dead. Um, we have a new woman in the window trailer, the Netflix, uh, the first Netflix trailer for that movie, I Which guess. Which reteams um, uh, John Walker and Sam Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Hitman's wife's bodyguard, uh, army of the dead, uh, F nine. We got a new trailer for, and we got a trailer for Annette as well as Shang-Chi and the legend of the 10 rings. So tons of trailers in the last two weeks. Um, I don't know where you want to kick it off. I think we should off. start I, with Shang-Chi and Annette, yeah, which are Annette. The, the, the most recent. And also, I think most interesting to talk about because both of those films – well, I mean, Annette is is supposed to come out this summer. Uh, it was just announced with the trailer. And that also it will be playing at Cannes in July. Opening night. Which is hopeful thinking I, uh, on, on uh, Terry Fremo's part. But um, something to – at least I don't want to say get your hopes up for, but at least kind of be like, okay, there is a light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing. And also just to look forward to Leo Carax again. And, 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 you know, going back to, um, you know, even hot dogs this year, uh, Edgar Wright's uh, the sparks 
Brothers Doc is playing there. The Sparks uh, wrote the brothers wrote the script and uh, they've composed the score for the film. Uh, we were Looks also like they're in the movie. We were also <laughs> talking about the guilt trip that, you know, quote unquote fans give people for being bandwagoners where the Sparks Brothers Doc, I think, is a very good movie in terms of like letting new fans come in and just join in on the fun at any point. It doesn't matter where you join in. It's just like, please become a fan of this of sparks and that's what it should be for everything right but but going back to annette like i i think that like i'm i'm just excited in general because you know we haven't had a leo carax movie since holy motors holy motors right so it's so weird um so that'll be exciting um and that it will also be available on amazon at some point during the summer uh so you know to me, that's that's my Marvel movie <laughs> yeah. of the summer, no. you know. No, I love that, and I'm I'm very. I mean, I loved Holy Motors. We saw that together at Lightbox, didn't we? I remember. Yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah. Um. When was that? Two twenty eleven. Two thousand eleven. It's been ten years almost, right? Yeah. yeah. So, which is wild. Um. Yeah, I mean English language. Um. Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard. Um. I uh, musical Sparks Brothers. Like the trailer looks wonderfully strange but also fun and um i i'm i'm super looking forward to it I, again i'm with you like Ron and Holy russell Motors are in the a, trailer are too. in the movie yeah. yeah and and um i just uh i holy motors was such a unique experience watching that going in not knowing much about it at all or and, leo carax's um, career because i feel holy motors is like that, you know, we talk about culmination films, whether it be the Avengers Endgame or, or something like that. Like if you had seen, you know, Boy Meets Girl or or Pola X or, or things like that, like it's it's weirdly his most self-referential film and sort of looking at his own career within the context of making this weird sort of surreal conversation about French cinema as well. So um, it's, you know, like it, it'll be very interesting to see how he meshes with uh, the Sparks brothers and specifically like how their styles will either complement each other or they won't, because it could, it might not work. But I think what's interesting is that, you know, like again, in the Sparks brothers doc, I mean, Edgar Wright talks about like, you know, the misconception, the first thing a lot of people make the mistake of, and I did too, when I first heard them was that I thought they were French, but they're yeah. American, but they have a very European style. So that might mesh really well with, with Leo Carax. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I think it looks wonderful. Uh, I can't wait. So it's an Amazon original in North America. Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Amazon or bought it, um, I think, right from the beginning. Way back, yeah. right? Yeah, so that's great. That means we'll actually be able to see it and uh, watch it from the comfort of our homes. The way it was meant to Ontario, be seen. Ontario, uh, it doesn't look like we're going to the movies anytime soon. So what I'm was your tweet, Ontario, every... yours to discover? A way, a way to... out of here. <laughs> a way out of here, yeah. Uh, dude, what a... Oh, God. Our premier uh, Doug we Ford the, is, is incompetent to say the least. The world right now, yeah. like you know how everyone was laughing at the U.S. during all of this, being like, "You guys are useless. Look at this fucking guy you have in charge." And now it's Ontario, yeah. and you're like, but "It's only this one is so province. Sad. It's not all of Canada. It's just literally Ontario that everyone yeah. is laughing at, even including the rest of Canada." And it's 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 gotten to the point where the Washington Post is Post. is 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 shit posting. Yeah. Uh, uh, fuck you, Doug. Yeah. Fuck you, Doug uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> oh, God, it's the worst, dude. So every movie trailer I see, I'm like super excited for this. Will I be able to see F9 in theaters? I don't know. Who but knows? will it play in theaters? 
murders in Canada. Like that's like other than again out west where it seems like cases are are almost next to none because the population's more spread out, obviously. But yeah, here like we're in a a weird lockdown now where police are allowed to pull people over and they pulled well, they took that back, right? But uh, who knows? Who knows? I never know the rules. I just stay in my house and I go. I want to go to the movies. I want to see. I know. I just want. I just want to get vaccinated. Like that's that too. To me, like I finally. I just. I just want that Pfizer. I'll take anything. I'll take anything, man. Give me shoot it straight into me. I'll (laughs) I'll take anything. Uh, Anyways, uh, Shang Chi being the other one. Surprise drop. Happy birthday to Simu Liu. Uh, he dropped a poster, and I think they surprised him with dropping the trailer to Shang Chi, um, Toronto's own. Right? I think he's uh, yeah, born and raised here. Yeah, um, star of uh, Kim's Convenience, Kim's, which and, is finished. Right? It was sixty-five yeah, episodes. Yeah, they just but they finished they it. finished not because they were canceled, but because the series creators were worn out or something it was weird it was weird with i think the, it was the- like i don't know whether the direction from the studio like cbc or something maybe they weren't really or they just didn't have any ideas of how to continue or something like that but i heard they might be doing a spin-off as i think well. they are and it's with um, the white character <laughs> yeah this is awful oh so never mind sorry uh simu was uh born in um in china but he was uh he's lived quite a lot of his life in Toronto and, and things grew like up that. in so, Canada. Yeah. Um, grew up in Canada. But uh, so we got a Shang-Chi trailer um, this morning um, on was a surprise to me, at least when I rolled out of bed this morning. Uh, our first, it's interesting because we've gotten the Marvel TV shows, but they're all from, you know, established characters and even black widow coming up. Obviously we've seen numerous movies with black widow with or without um, a Russian accent. Yeah, I don't know where you're getting that. She never had a Russian accent. She did in Iron Man Two. I no, swear she didn't to God. Do that. Go back and watch Iron Man uh, Two. I'm watching I'm Iron Man Two, and I'm, I'm gonna I, like I, dude. I've watched the MCU like ten times. Oh, I believe that. Yeah. Um, and I remember you always saying this, and I watched Iron Man Two, and I'm like, she doesn't have an accent. What is Eric talking about? <laughs> she might have an accent in like a um uh in the Avengers in that scene where she's where with, she's on the phone. Uh, yeah. Like at one point or something like that, maybe I but like, swear that she had an um, accent in Iron Man too. Dude, just look up clips on YouTube or something. You don't have to watch the whole movie. Cause Iron Man two, not horrible, but not super great. Right. Um, still shot uh, on she, film. Unless I'm just like blanking it out too. Every time I watch it, but like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I watched it. And I remember you saying this and I'm like, she doesn't have an accent in this movie because she's playing Tony Stark's like assistant. Right. So she's trying to be like a, a, a American. Um, and I'm like, huh. Uh, I'm like, okay, maybe it's a different movie. And then like, um, I think you just have this weird, like you, re- you remember Iron Man two being bad, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, and that being a part of it because her character's Russian, but like, I'm like, I don't I mean, think I, I, I'll I mean, take your word. Russian or, accent. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's, ridiculous but i'll take your word over mine but i just i remember her having an accent and then it being dropped by the time we got to the avengers and thinking like I, where did it go after this is done recording we will uh we will look up clips together because like i am i'm pretty sure now that i've watched the mcu three years in a row that i'm like i've seen iron man 2 enough times now where when you first said it i'm like okay i've seen iron man 2 like once or twice um but anyways uh off topic shang chi uh we're getting a trailer for a new marvel hero um the first one in what feels like 
a long time. I guess Captain Marvel would have been the the last movie that introduced a new like mainline character to the MCU. Um, uh, and I think it looks really cool. Like uh, uh, Dustin Daniel Cretton, who directed Short Term Twelve, is, is directing the movie. Um, Aquafina's in it as well. Um, uh, it's going to involve the Ten Rings and the and their one true Mandarin. Um, well, Tony Lung, who um, Tony I was Lung, talking yeah. about uh, with uh, Wong Kar Wai. You know, oh yeah, in, right. In yeah. the mood for love. What a so. weird, uh, what a weird uh, full circle moment. Yes, <laughs> full ring moment. He's playing the Mandarin, correct? I think so, but he's uh, not credited yeah. as the Mandarin on IMDb. Oh, interesting. Okay. I forget. So there'll probably uh, be a big reveal where it's like, you know, I've been known as many things over the centuries, one of which is the Mandarin. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the trailer? Um, I liked it. I, I think the one thing that I was I I I wasn't the biggest fan of was um Bob Pope's or Bill Pope's um, cinematography. And it just, it kind of like talking about digital, like it really kind of does look back like to that televisual kind of look again, where I think we've, we've had some recent Marvel movies that have really gone above and beyond, whether it be Rachel Morrison or, you know, like that kind of that look that that's elevated the Marvel aesthetic a little bit where this kind of felt a little bit closer to, tv presentation which isn't necessarily a bad thing it's just that i was like i was kind of hoping that like because I, I have a feeling with well i don't have a feeling i know that with eternals eternals is going to look really really interesting when it comes to like that visual you know the chloe Zhao kind of thing going on but this kind of felt like more in line with like early marvel to me like just in terms of its look um, I kind of dug the one bodyguard villainess character with the, I don't know if it's war paint or if it's like a creature in disguise. Um, yeah. I'm not very familiar with Shang-Chi other than I've seen like a couple, I'm not either, uh, yeah. panels like in, in there's one where he has a bandana on that reminded me of Rambo, but that was, that's about it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I was into it. Um, I agree. Oh, with and the ending the- reminded me of like, they were doing an homage to speed. Yes, with the bus. On, I totally thought of the exact same thing with Aquafina and him on but the, the bus. Editing, that double kick, though. The editing, that though, double that kick, was pretty weird. dope. So the the scene when when Aquafina says like Aquafina's character, not Aquafina, uh, when she says like "Who are you?" and he does the kind of like the stance, and then it cuts back and she's because she's probably driving, driving the, the bus, bus at that yeah. point, right? I think they just edited two different scenes. Yeah, no, I know that. And and, trailer, but when you're watching that and and you're thinking like from the point of view of an editor, yeah, yeah. like it's cool because it's 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 a it's a great. You need that moment, yeah, Yeah. and you need that that moment because you're introducing this new character. But I love the double kick on the bus. I thought the fight choreography looked really dope. There's some wire work stuff, which seems like they're really embracing that style of like the kind of over the top wire work, like. you know kung fu um style fight sequences um which is the stuff i'm talking about in in the mcu of them embracing kind of you know whatever genre they're trying to kind of tackle in each show or movie they're kind of like leaning into that stuff and it doesn't necessarily mean that you know we've seen ridiculous wire work in other marvel movies or it would feel out of place in other movies but maybe in this it feels like it totally works and even though it's you know 
I, we've seen, you know, even in, in uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier of like the super soldier people jump up and it's sort of wire work because, you know, people don't jump that way because but they're super soldiers. So you go, oh, they can control their jumps and different things like that. But this really seems like they're embracing that kind of style in some of the fight sequences, which I thought was really cool. Um, we don't get much of the plot or anything. You know that it looks like the Mandarin is Shang-Chi's father and it, it, they're trying to bring him into the Ten Rings and we're going to see more of that organization, which I think is actually really cool because the Ten Rings was the first villain organization we ever saw in the MCU in the first Iron Man movie. So like how they're if they're going to tie any of this to Iron Man because the Ten Rings were really prominent in the first and third Iron Man movies. With well, and Mandarin uh, was also. I mean, like, not that I really knew a lot about Iron Man before the movies, other than him popping up in the animated '90s Spider-Man series and his own series. Is that the Mandarin was always like his big villain? You know, like that was it. And also, Iron Man's big, yeah, villain. yeah, Iron Man's big villain, and the, also the cultural appropriation and, and yeah. this, the, 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 the stereotypical racist kind of stuff of that. And that's and why the, I loved what they did with him in the third movie. And I don't mind them backtracking now a little bit because they're kind of bringing him back into the culture itself. So that will be interesting, but I kind of dug what they did with Iron Man three and sort of pointing out like, okay, this is when that comic was made. And even though it wasn't okay then, but it was considered okay. Then like we can't we'll update it for yeah. to make it not racist and not problematic. And it seems like, cause even I'm reading here that, Shang-Chi's father in the comics was Fu Manchu and they're like that character that character was like not cool so they're like we've kind of recontextualized it so you know um the Mandarin and Wenwu is is his father which I think is interesting and he want he's his dad is a villain and he wants to be a hero and that that bringing in the Ten Rings and I wonder if you will see any connection to you know because we saw in that um that short film they released after iron man 3 with scoot mcnary uh breaking out um him from jail right yeah with sam rockwell um, at the end of it too yeah Yeah. so i'm like i wonder if you involve any of those guys in this at all or if it'll be completely separate well also Um, even uh like not that it has anything to do with this film connecting because of, of the director, I wonder if, you know, Brie Larson comes Brie Larson, in yeah. because she's been in all three of his other movies. Yeah. So maybe that's a post credit set setting up Captain Marvel two or, or something like that. That could be really, really interesting. Is but, Sonic um, going to be in this? Ten rings? Uh, yeah, I don't <laughs> um, but I'm intrigued, you know, a new Marvel movie and we're actually getting them this year. So we should get a uh, Eternals trailer, you know, in the next little while, because like this is a September release. Eternals is November, correct? Yeah. So it'll probably be either like in and around the time of Loki or probably um, even like with black, black widow, widow right so yeah well, black widow we probably would even get like spider-man no way home at that point i could see us getting that because alfred molina sooner. is just yeah that, that's uh, we're kind of l- lumping in news stories and and trailers at the same thing but alfred molina just said fuck my nda i'll just talk about it he gave and he like, did the ultimate he pulled the ultimate super villain uh he was almost like what are they gonna do yeah like I, they're not gonna, me? <laughs> yeah like yeah like i love alfred molina and he how little he, yeah he doesn't care he's just like everyone knows anyway he's like i might as well talk about it and then like i can see someone like kevin feige just being like oh, well fuck yeah there's nothing we can really 
do here we just <laughs> like, we just won't confirm um, it until we actually confirm and it's a it. sony movie and the things with the sony marvel movies is always kind of weird a and crazy right because yeah. it's like a co- weird collaboration thing right but at this point i feel like you gotta drop at least an announcement if not a trailer like you might as well right. just announce that toby mcguire's in it announce that andrew garfield's in it and announce that you know uh, jamie fox and alfred molina are in it like the if you do have a surprise it's maybe that uh, what's his name's coming back as uh, a Green Goblin? Um, Willem Dafoe. Um, Willem Dafoe. Norman like, that's the one thing that hasn't really been confirmed yet, but has been rumored that he's also. <laughs> I'm a bit of a scientist myself. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what you do. I think you just now have to embrace the Spider Verse angle of it and just release. Uh, a trailer i wonder uh, if they got more out of him but they had to kind of censor some of it because they didn't they maybe they got in trouble because like i almost feel like you could have even gotten more out of alfred molina oh he probably could have spoiled the toby Maguire thing or the andrew garfield thing like we know we know for a fact that and it's andrew not tom garfield, holland that spoiled it this time <laughs> no andrew garfield is 1000 percent. his version of spider-man is in the movie his his uh, stunt double has been seen around the set in Atlanta. Uh, someone, uh, uh, an Uber Eats driver, said that they delivered food to Andrew Garfield's hotel room once. And like, like it's all of this shit is like okay. Like at this point, why are you even trying to hide it? I think the Tobey Maguire thing was even in that first announcement was like they were still negotiating with him. Um, like what? what his role would be in him coming back. Cause I feel like he would be more hesitant than Andrew Garfield. Well, especially to, if he had know. to do more physical stuff. Um, right. Yeah. And I, I think he's kind of past that point in his life, but with Sam Raimi doing Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness, that might've been a enticing thing. Cause he has a conversation with Raimi and maybe there's a small role he has in multiverse of madness as well. But like, um, I I'm at this point, I'm just like with, with Alfred Molina coming out and being like, yeah, I played doc Ock again. They're going to de-age me for some of it. Um, uh, I talked to like, he just flat out the tentacles uh, like, did all the work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, you know, what? good for oh, you. By dude. the way, and I died like, in Spider-Man too, but I was brought back r- right away. Like it's, yeah, it's, like it's, it's so funny. And that, that means that universe is in the movie. So you're just like, then Tobey Maguire kind of has to be involved unless he didn't want to come back and you write him out by, you know, killing him off screen or, or, or whatever. Or you just bring um, back an, one um, Spider-Man and that's Andrew Garfield. But then that would I be mean, weird though, like, as well, because it's like, how do you pull in that, that villain? And if, if green goblins in it as well, or even Sandman, Sandman's been also rumored online that Thomas Hayden church might pop up in this as well, because basically I think what they're trying to do is not just the multiverse, but they're trying to do sinister six, or as it was known on the nineties cartoon, which I've been watching the insidious six, which I don't know why they called it that. Um, But it is fascinating because like if, if you don't have Tobey Maguire, but you have the villains, it's a weird reference point because Garfield won't know who they are because, you know, I mean, Goblin maybe because of the Goblin connection in, amazing spider-man 2 but i mean even that is kind of still you know stretching it a little bit there yeah yeah it's um it's it's funny but um i could see us getting a trailer for that a teaser trailer where they reveal or it's just or it's just jk um, simmons (laughs) yeah (laughs) he'll probably play both versions of j jonah jameson i'm assuming like um but 
I'm excited nonetheless. Shang-Chi looks looks like fun. I'm excited to get a new Marvel character introduced into this phase four um, and, and see how that plays out. Well, it so. almost feels like this will actually be the real beginning of phase four in terms of the films because Black Widow, we've talked about this before, was – I don't want to say just an obligation because I'm, I'm actually excited for the movie and it should have happened a while ago. But it almost feels like, okay, we needed to make this movie because we kind of dropped the ball with that character and never gave her – her film before and things like that. And it's almost weirdly like almost like a footnote in phase three. Like it's almost like, again, it's closing the door to certain aspects of, you know, having that character or maybe she'll come back. Maybe, maybe they'll do the multiverse thing like they're doing with Loki and they'll bring her back in some way. I read a wild rumor that, there might be a face-off kind of scene oh in Black God. Widow no. where, where like where she where Florence Pugh is actually. Oh, I was going to say Nick Cage is actually becomes Black Widow. So like, so like Florence Pugh and her switch faces. So the the Black Widow that died in Infinity War is actually Florence Pugh's character. No, um, and then like I I read that. That's I so dumb. That's, gonna, that's as bad. Oh, really that's dumb. as bad as Spider Man Three when it actually happened when it's revealed that Sandman killed Uncle Ben. I don't I don't think that's going to happen because that seems a little like a lot of ridiculous shit has happened in the MCU. But for a way like you can just have retconning the, is the worst. I don't mind certain retcons if it actually but there's an is, easier way to do that when you have the multiverse excuse like you can say like yeah, I agree a different with that. version of her or just her time has gone yeah or passed and then like now, now we have florence Pugh's, Pugh's character yeah. who can still be black widow it's just a different black widow <laughs> and like yeah. it, and then you can build up a different character which is i think the route that they're gonna go yeah. um the face-off rumor seems so out of like left field that i was like this is hilarious and if it happens i'll be like taskmaster oh is actually nick cage um, that would be incredible yeah. <laughs> it's it's absolutely ridiculous but um i thought it was funny nonetheless um let's talk about uh f9 i think is the next thing i know we've already seen one f9 trailer but it's been over a year since we got one uh eric i'm gonna go to the bathroom what did you think of the f9 we're going trailer? to space matt we're going to <laughs> space at last the family have been reunited. We've been waiting for this adventure. Um, the trailer, as expected, looks ridiculous. If you have been invested in the Fast Five or Fast Fast Five, uh, the best Fast movie, uh, the Fast and Furious universe, you're not going to stop now. You're not going to look back. You got to keep going. You got to keep that nose uh, full and and that tank going. Um, I think it looks exactly what I would expect it to be, just as ridiculous and over the top. And now them introducing the idea that they can go to space, or at least sort of within the sort of ozone layer, um, makes perfect sense. And and now kind of bringing it all back to, you know, the family. Uh, there still is the question of what do they do with Paul Walker's character since Jordana Brewster is back, and then also it's just nice to see Han is probably going to actually have a bigger role in this than just kind of like a walk-on cameo so han yeah yeah i i'm uh i didn't hear what you said because i had to run it oh i said that han's um, probably going to have more than just a walk-on cameo and that it's also still going to be interesting to see how they handle paul walker's brian character yeah i think that's my biggest question as well is like you see brian in a in a video on, on the beach with his child which um and then obviously his his wife being in the movie. Jordana you, Brewster, yeah. Yeah. Um 
yeah, Jordana Brewster's character being in the movie that I'm like, how do you write him out of it of not like he, what does he go? Well, I'm going to stay back with the kid, but you know, <laughs> like it just, when you didn't kill off that character, which I think is fine, but it does feel weird. One that Dom na- named his son after him, which doesn't make any sense. And, um, and that, the character isn't dead he's alive but he's not participating so do you have a cg version of 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 paul walker in the movie at some point like his brothers played him in in fast seven um and or do you just completely not have him in the movie and it feels weird from a storytelling standpoint um and then with Han, I'm very intrigued to see how they bring him back. That's my biggest question because everyone knows he's back now. But uh, I'm curious of the explanation there, and I'm sure it'll be absolutely ridiculous. See, that would be good if um, there was like a weird like face off thing in there somewhere. Like he just like you know like swap places or it's his twin brother and, or something. Yeah. I could see that happening. Like, God. oh, I'm not. I'm I'm also Han, but right or Jason was Statham twin. was like in on it the whole time and wasn't yeah. really a villain. Because then that defeats that the purpose a- of that character. Yeah, yeah, it's so stupid. But you gotta embrace the stupidity. Well, it's, when you it's see, machismo soap opera. Yeah, yeah. Know. And when you see that rocket ship car just blast off at the end of the trailer, you're like, you know what? We we're here, and I'm in. <laughs> and like, how did just, we get here? How come we got here? Um, like, but whatever. And anything can happen at this point. Where I'm like, they talked about crossovers with Jurassic World. I could see a crossover with Back to the Future. I could see any Universal property coming in. They're going to space. Is time travel involved? The same ho- to save Han who knows like but it's then you just, open a weird can of worms with that as well with like the brine stuff sci-fi. there yeah. as well yeah like that's time true travel yeah. and things so so i have no idea the trailer probably showed way too much which is i think the biggest problem with fast and furious trailers is i get so and the trailer is so long like it feels like that's gonna so be as hard. long as the movie like the movie will yes. be three hours the trailer has to be three minutes at least yeah. And I laugh so much during the trailers because everything I'm seeing for the first time and it's so ridiculous. By the time you see the movie, you're like, okay, I saw all these biggest moments. Will the movie have more to that? Yes. It'll have all that machismo soap opera storytelling that you're talking about. And I'm, I'm all in on that. And I've kind of just impr- embraced the stupidity of these movies where, you know, what? at some point you can't, you obviously can't take them very seriously. And you just hope that they're fun spectacle movies with really, I want them to be as dumb as possible. Give Charlize Theron another dumb haircut. They've done it. And involve. <laughs> She's involve Hannibal the Lecter ridiculous. Yeah. It's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm just like, I'm all in and uh, I'm so excited for it. I just pray that I'm able to see it on the biggest screen possible. And John because, Cena in uh, um, night at the Roxbury oh yeah. uh, cosplay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just absolutely stupid. And like he's so perfect to be playing Vin Diesel's brother because they're like it's just the right amount of like stupidity. bad acting and stupidity that like I'm just I- I'm here for it. So um I'm all in. Um quickly we'll kind of rapid fire through these other trailers. We got Army of the Dead. Um looks fine i don't really care i'm kind of indifferent on it um still nervous about the running time where when that's gonna how long will it be like will it be three hours i I will not be surprised um especially because netflix you know um 
doesn't really edit their filmmakers, especially on the level of a Zack Snyder. So um, if they give uh what's the homeboy that made that movie that was like two hours and 45 minutes that I was like, I cannot believe they let him make a two hour and 45 minute movie. I never watched it, but it looked like one of those directive video movies. And I was like, how is this two hours and 40 minutes? How did they let him do this? Wait, who are you talking um, about? I, there's a Netflix movie that came out. Uh, and I remember us talking about it and it didn't look super great. It was like a futuristic sci-fi action movie and it was over two and a half hours, I think, or close to two and a half hours. And I, I'll have to look it up, uh, but let's go through these other trailers, but uh Hitman's wife's bodyguard do anything for you. No. I forgot the mo- first movie even existed. Nothing at all. Um, same. Does anyone like, I I'm sure the first movie I remember being, whatever you know one of those action movies you throw on that's on like fucking spike tv or something and you're like oh okay this is on and you watch it and you're like okay sam jackson and, and ryan reynolds doing their shtick well it was like, around the time whatever. of ryan reynolds kind of having deadpool and i think that probably helped a little bit as well so yeah um but i don't know like i just know that it takes place or was shot near uh pula in croatia so we saw a lot of locations like that's where nevis's parents own a uh like an apartment and we've traveled there a couple times so like it was kind of fun seeing that small croatian town and i wonder because it was a big deal when this was shooting there um so like i think that's like the most intriguing thing about the movie for me um but I I don't know. I I forgot the first movie even existed. So when I much to my surprise I'm like they made a sequel to this? Why? It's probably cheap. Um, the actors were easy to get. Um they liked working with each other. It's a vacation. Uh The Woman in the Window um sold to Netflix. I've heard, you know, mixed things based on test screenings. Joe Wright obviously um following up the darkest hour. Well, controversial and, um, producer Scott Rudin, uh, uh, Scott Rudin had uh, Tony Gilroy reshoot it. Tony Gilroy who's now becoming known as like the ghost director on projects whether it be Rogue One or this to yeah. do uh reshoots and apparently the test screening for the original cut of the film didn't do well. Did just yeah. and the new cut didn't do any better. And I mean, like Joe Wright, like as soon as the film was done, had already moved on to his next movie. So it kind of shows you that like, you know, not just the, you know, the Disney Fox merger being a problem, but this film had some issues during production. Even Tracy Letts has talked about it um, not too long ago where he was saying like he couldn't necessarily, he couldn't really figure out the script in terms of adapting it and cracking it. So yeah, and that's so unfortunate. I love. I mean, it's. We'll wait and see what the movie is because who knows? Um, but it's got uh, Wyatt Russell and Anthony Mackie. So, yeah, sure. You might as well drive that home. But I'm. Uh, I'm very curious to. Uh, to see um, if this ends up being okay or not. I don't know. I, I from both trailers I've seen, I'm like, all right. I'm. You know, I'll watch it, but I'm not necessarily excited for it or anything. But there's a ton and I of like these, everyone involved. These these pulpy paperback airplane novels that you would read when we we could fly places, where it's it kind of feels like the same thing with like remember the girl on the train, where like there was that moment that everybody was reading it, and then they made the movie with Emily Blunt, and you were embarrassed that she got an uh, she got a, a a SAG nomination, and you know, her reaction to the SAG clip that they chose is, is amazing. Um, but then you completely forget about it a year later. That movie sucked, dude. Yeah. Oh, it's real bad. 
and it has a great cast and it's, it's terrible. I mean, Tate Taylor is not a very good director, but um, yeah. So it almost feels a little bit like that where it's like, okay, like, you know, you need to get a director who can really do something with that material, the way that David Fincher did with Gone Girl, where like, I think Gone Girl could have been in the same category if it wasn't for Fincher working alongside Gillian Flynn. Yeah, I agree with that. And the movie I was talking about was The Last Days of American Crime, directed by Olivier uh, Megatron. Oh, oh yeah. Um, with, um, and it was Edgar two hours, Ramirez. two and a half hours. And I was like, I'm absolutely not watching that. <laughs> well, they didn't, even, they didn't even give us no links. Way. They wouldn't even send us links for it. So yeah. it shows you. Uh, holds a rare 0% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Nice. <laughs> so that was the movie I was talking about. Yeah, I remember we requested it because I feel like it was pretty slow because it was last year yeah. in 2020. Because it was really right around the time much. that the lockdown was happening, right? It was so, in July, yeah. yeah. And we we didn't have anything to review, so we requested it. And they're like, we're not going to send out screeners to that. And you're like, oh, okay. And Netflix is pretty good about sending things. Um, and th- I remember when it popped up, I was like, it's two hours and 30 minutes? Who let that happen? <laughs> oh, like, that is absolutely ridiculous. Um, Anyways, woman in the window. Um, and then uh, finally, what else do we got here? Oh, those who wish me dead, uh, which I'm always in for a Taylor Sheridan uh, flick. Um, I mean, this directed, uh, he did Hell or High Water. Um, he directed Hell or High Water, yeah, right? Yeah. And then, no, no, uh, no, no, d- no. Uh, David uh, McKenzie directed Hell or High oh, Water. Oh, Dave McKenzie. Yeah, he, but he wrote it. Yes, right? he directed Wind River. <clears throat> Wind River he directed. Yeah. Thank you, Eric. But he also wrote Sicario correct yep. am i thinking of the same person yeah taylor sheridan who you would know he's an actor who popped up on sons of anarchy i think and other things but he's also a, a great writer and becoming a very intriguing director because i like i liked Wind river quite a bit his stuff is very uh disturbing and violent and and depressing <laughs> and you can always guarantee um, that john bernthal is not going to have a good time in his movies yeah, exactly. So, uh, those who wish me dead, um, Angelina Jolie playing a, uh, firewatch, um, a ranger uh, of some sort a ranger. Yeah. And, um, but gets involved with this young child who's involved in this kidnapping, you know, kidnapping subplot kind of thing. And, and their worlds collide by Nicholas and they, Holt and, and, and uh, Aiden Gillen and, of, uh, who started a forest Thrones. fire. Yeah. yeah. Who started a forest fire. So it looks ridiculous um and i'm sure it'll be very intense and depressing yes and, uh, and something and really violent. horrible will happen at some point whether yeah. it be a flashback or in the present um or both um the one thing i will say though that i i don't know if it'll work or not is that i don't buy angelina jolie as a regular person it's the same way i don't buy tom cruise as a regular person yeah whenever they're playing someone who's not like a spy or someone like yeah um, if they're playing you know, blue like an action collar, hero or, i can't you know. i can't they're not real people they're they're yeah they're, they're movie stars yeah, yeah yeah like it's the same thing like not even just movie stars like it's the same thing with tilda swinton like if tilda swinton played a regular person i mean I, her performance in michael clayton she's a regular person and obviously that's a great performance at one of the oscar but like there's just some people that it's like there's certain personalities yeah where it's very hard the suspension of disbelief of going okay she's a fire ranger yeah <laughs> like yeah like I, i'm with you on that part but i'm sure she'll do some insane stuff that makes her like go. if She's tom not cruise a was a deli ranger. clerk in some indie <laughs> movie i would be like no nah, it's sorry bro no nah. <laughs> i would love that i would love that that would be incredible but yeah i agree with you like um it always has to be some larger than life character because they are larger than life almost yeah. right so like I'm, you have I'm to totally shape the movie around that. them and not have like i almost i almost do feel like that 
that will be distracting watching that film where you see like again like it goes back to the diehard formula like bruce willis there was a time where he kind of was the he looked like the everyman i mean post diehard yeah if you cast him in a film that's an action movie you kind of were like okay you're gonna get that but angelina jolie has always been a big movie star and and i think like something like eternals is going to be great for her because you know like that makes sense that makes sense yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) i'm just joe schmo regular somebody but yeah we do have to get an indie movie with tom cruise as the deli clerk so uh i absolutely would love nothing more than that um and then uh, any other trailers that I'm missing that you wanted to talk about? Or I think that was pretty much the big ones. Right? Those are the big ones. I think, I think we got through those. Uh, cool. Uh, on the news front, I talked about Olivia Coleman uh, joining um, Secret Invasion and Bensley King Adir, which I think might've been the other one, or maybe that was a little while ago, but I don't know. I don't think we talked about, talked about, about, about it. Show. Um, I, again, we talked about Falcon and the Winter Soldier and WandaVision. Um, the Loki trailer actually came out, which we I don't think we talked about either. Or did we talk about it last episode? We did talk about it last episode, I'm pretty sure. Um, either way, the Loki trailer looks great. So I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued by um, all of the Marvel television shows. Secret Invasion being one that like is such a big deal in the comic books. I don't know how they were going to handle it on, uh, you know, Disney Plus. But it looks like, you know, uh, uh uh, Sam Jackson and Ben Mendelsohn will be the leads with Kingsley Ben Adir and, and, and Olivia Coleman. And um, it'll be kind of like a sword series probably with heavily involving probably, the scroll invasion. And it'll so. probably connect to captain Marvel too, in some way or another, yeah. like that feels like, you know, we had WandaVision kind of setting up captain Marvel two a little bit at the end there. And now we're going into like, I feel like Falcon and, and the winter soldier that will kind of set up armor wars next for like, like each one of these series will either set up a film or the next series. And you know, whether or not the series get renewed, like there's already, you know, Loki's already been renewed and I can definitely see uh Falcon and the winter soldier being more than a one-off where WandaVision kind of is like a weird kind of just like it's its own thing. Um, yeah. But it will be interesting. Like secret wars almost feels like that would be a, a one-off as well, where it's like this one big event series and yeah. then you move on to something else. <clears throat> I'd be curious to see how much crossover you have. Cause it's such a crossover comic book that well, there's no you way you get Monica Coleman back again yeah. for another season. Like, it's like a one and done for her, I think. Yeah, but you could, I could see her popping up in movies. Well, the movies, yes, forward. but yeah. not, but not a full season, season of television. Yeah. yeah. Um, other than that, there was the uh, the big Sony and Netflix collab deal that came out uh, recently. So it's one thing we talked about when we talked about the streaming wars. I think in a recent episode of the show that you know what is going to survive and what streaming services are going to continue and and with the companies that don't really have a streaming service, what is going to be their, you know, thought moving forward. And I think we see a bit of that with this Sony and Netflix deals. So if you guys didn't know, um, Sony and Netflix have partnered up, uh, Sony pictures and Netflix for, um, you know, uh, v- not VOD, um, first run, not first run, second run releases on home video, essentially what you would get when things ended up for Canadians on the movie channel or crave or something like that. Like, so after their movies premiere in, in, in theaters and then come out on home video, um, they will be on Netflix. So Sony pictures movies starting from 2022 onward 
will be on Netflix after their theatrical run. But the other part of the deal that was more intriguing, which is I think kind of ties into um, something like Mitchell's versus the machines, which you guys can check out a review. I keep plugging it. It'll be up on the 21st. Um, that part of it is like, it looks like they're also partnering with if Sony decides to make a movie for streaming services, it will be co-produced by Netflix and it will be on Netflix, which I think is really intriguing. So I think much like a lot of these other studios, like a Disney, um, uh, who is now deciding which movies go on streaming and which movies go in theaters, um, they will partner with Netflix on certain movies that will come straight to streaming services. So, um, I think it's just a first step and I could see a future where we talked about how Netflix will survive or how they will compete with a Disney moving forward. Netflix is the one company that hasn't really done a big purchase of another company. Cause I think we're getting to a point where an Amazon and Apple, um, and even a Disney aren't really allowed to buy any more companies because they purchased too much where Sony pictures is always that weird anomaly for Sony who is in, you know, uh, a tech giant uh, has a large video game uh, company um, makes electronics, but their Sony pictures has always been in a weird spot where Columbia has a long history and, and um, touchstone, not touchstone, which is Disney, uh, the other Columbia and TriStar. the other one, TriStar. Thank you, Eric, um, have a long history, but their movie business has always been kind of like they have the Spider-Man movies and and they've been moderately successful with other franchises and things like that. But I could see a world where Sony sells off their their film division to a Netflix, which is unfortunate because Fox just sold to Disney and, you know, we had the big studios, but the, the film industry is changing so much. Or do you just think that this will just stay a partnership? I mean, for now, it'll be a partnership and maybe, you know, they'll see how it goes and what Sony is up to in the next 10 years or so, because again, everything is, is changing. I mean, you know, obviously Paramount now has Paramount Plus, but they were also very much in the business with Netflix, at least selling, you know, certain movies off to them, not exclusively, because obviously like the United States versus uh, uh, Billie Jean, um, oh, Billie Holiday, pardon me, Billie Jean, <laughs> I'm a fucking idiot, uh, <laughs> Billy Billie Holiday, that's how much I love that movie by Lee Daniels, um, Billie Holiday was sold off to Hulu, so but you've seen like the trial of the Chicago seven, which was a, a paramount movie get sold off to Netflix. And then, you know, like they universal's done a couple as well. And universal, I think now is like the one studio where it's kind of like, I think maybe they're the, the only one really left that doesn't have like a streamer service other than Peacock in the U S but it's not necessarily just film. Like it's, it's like, it's, it's new television, new branding. So like I could see maybe internationally, maybe universal making a deal with someone like a, a, a Netflix or Amazon as well at some yeah, point. It's intriguing because they have Peacock, but, and I know they made that big deal for WWE network recently, like a billion dollar deal for, to try to, you know, bring that whole fan base over to Peacock. So it seems like they are investing quite a bit on peacock so for me i'm like if they're going to then they need to just if they really truly believe in their streaming service then they need to not sell that stuff off to uh, unless they uh, like you said internationally maybe it makes sense because peacock's only available in the u.s it's much like what happens with 
like HBO stuff here in Canada because HBO Max um, was launched a lot at later where HBO already had deals in place internationally for things like HBO originals and, and stuff like that. So that's on Crave here in well, Canada. Disney Plus Star as and, well, right? Like a lot of yeah. the, like the FX shows that sold to Canadian broadcasters before Star was introduced are still tied up with Canadian broadcasters. So if you, you want to watch like Fargo or devs or something, you have to go to go to the Rogers branded yeah. FX channel where, but then the opposite of we are able to have star here in Canada because the U S rights to a lot of those Fox movies are with other places, right? Whether it's Hulu or, or, you know, around on Netflix or other places that Fox made all these deals in the U S. So it's so complicated and you don't think about it of how, you know, yes, they're very U.S. focused because a lot of these are U.S. companies. Sony being a Japanese company, but their film division being American. But um, it's just it, it's so so interesting, and um, I have no idea what will. It does make sense for Sony to get into bed with Netflix because they just. I don't think at any point they're going to launch their own streaming service where everyone else has one. Like you said, Universal has Peacock, Paramount now has Paramount Plus. So I think what's more intriguing moving forward was like, and we talked about this maybe even on the last show or before, would Trial of the Chicago 7 or Without Remorse have come out on Paramount Plus if they w- if they knew they were going to brand it Paramount Plus and invest more into it? Or is Paramount Plus, that's not their strategy is to have those types of things. Like, I'm not sure. Um, So I'm curious moving forward when they have something like that, will they put it on Paramount Plus to try to make it compete with these other things? Or do they go, well, we're going to make more money selling these movies than the subscriptions that would come to Paramount Plus specifically for that movie. But then that shows me then you don't really believe in your streaming service. Right. But also maybe I'm they're like, thinking <clears throat> and maybe it's a case by case basis where it's like, okay, we spent this much money on Trial of the Chicago 7. Can we recoup that cost on, you know, Paramount Plus? Or if we sell it to Netflix, can we make the not just the cost back, but can we make more off of it selling it at a higher rate? And then we also don't have to worry about advertising and marketing for Oscars and things like that and campaigning. So there's those things to consider as well. Yeah. I I think it'll be fascinating. I I think part of it is because they didn't have Disney uh, Paramount plus in place at the time. So things like, trial the chicago so they, seven yeah. or they wouldn't have put it on cbs all access yeah that didn't make sense or billy right? holiday or or without remorse like none of those would end up there but now i think the movie everybody is kind of looking at to see what's going to happen is a quiet place part two and i think that that's the film that like recently paramount made and uh, quite a few announcements in terms of delaying or rescheduling things or adding something new to the slate for this year or early next year we saw the mission impossible movies move to 2022 but the one thing that has hasn't changed yet is quiet place part two which is opening at the end of may the same day that cruella opens or is available on premium VOD on Disney Plus. So that is an interesting film to keep an eye on. Could you see a world where it's on in theaters in the US? Because it seems like, you know, starting today, I think I read that anyone in the US can get a vaccination no matter what your age is, like 16 and up or whatever. And theaters are starting to open. Would it be a VOD movie 
internationally, but then theatrically in the US? Or do you think it would go to a Paramount Plus? Or are you just I think curious it would, in general I think, what they do? I think it would be a premium VOD streamer of some sort, whether it be on a streaming service internationally or on iTunes. Because even though the SpongeBob movie opened theatrically here when theaters were open, now it could be the opposite. It, right? Yeah, it showed you the idea that you know Paramount was willing to make money in international markets and and not necessarily recoup the cost in you know um, America itself. So they yeah, they, that'll be interesting. We'd have to know in the next couple of weeks. You think, right? Yeah, because soon, like, sooner rather than later. I mean, like, like if they sell it to a streamer like a Netflix internationally, like a have a quiet place. Ironically, they had Bird Box, and then I remember everyone comparing that to Quiet. We place have our own version of out, a Quiet like, Place. We, we call yeah. it Bird Box, and they also <laughs> yeah. have the one with Stanley Tucci, uh, the uh, yeah. Silence with the bats. Yeah, which yeah. is terrible. So. I, I'm very excited for A Quiet Place Part 2, and I hope we're able to see it no matter what, like whether it's a $30 rental here or if it ends up on a streaming service. Yeah, A Quiet Place 2 and Mulan were like the last two big movies in the US that were screening for press before the lockdown. So people had seen it. Like there were some people that have been sitting Who on- saw it way back in March. Yeah, yeah interviews last since last year. And, and so- it, it it is interesting to think of like a sequel that was anticipated, you know, back in March of, of 2020 is now like, Oh, it's finally, maybe finally coming out in 2021. But again, who knows internationally speaking, because you know, the U S seems to have their shit together. At least they're producing vaccines in the U S where we're having to import them into Canada. And again, it's just been a huge pain in the ass. Yeah. And our, uh, premier Doug Ford um, is just been a complete buffoon um, when it comes to his, you know, planning of all this. And, and, you know, so, you know, it's going to take a lot longer for theaters in at least Ontario to open and, and, you know, for us to go back to press screenings as well. So. Yeah, I'm almost fine with the screenings at home kind of thing. <laughs> but I mean, I miss seeing things on the big screen, don't get me wrong. But um, especially with us living outside of the city now, just getting into them is a pain in the ass, right? Where if I can watch it on my couch, depending on the movie, I like having that option. Um, sp- sticking with uh, Netflix and, and screening uh, streaming services, um, there was a huge Knives Out deal that happened um, where – you know, good for Ryan Johnson and uh, getting paid, man. And and Daniel Craig and uh, is it Ren Bergman is his producing partner? Yeah, I forget. Yeah, um, all three of those guys got hella paid for Knives Out two and three, which are going straight to Netflix exclusive deal. Uh, Daniel Craig's coming back. There's they're doing. He's going to be the through line, the detective on these stories, but brand new casts in each movie. It was like a ridiculous amount of money over four hundred million. Yeah, over four hundred million. But that's what it, it's kind um, of estimated at. Like people don't know the exact amount. Exact. But it looks like the three of them are taking in a hundred million dollars plus each, and then each movie. The only parameters on it were that they need to be made for around the same budget as the first movie, which was forty million dollars. Yeah. And he will have complete creative control, where they, it says they will not give him notes. He can make any movie he wants. So it could all be it three hours be, long. Then this is what we're <laughs> all. All it needs to be is have. Daniel Craig and be As under Benoit 40 Blanc. and uh, be under 40 million dollars and uh 
and he can do whatever he wants. And they're shooting so, you part know what? two in Greece. I think that was the other thing yeah. in, in the press release that it's going to be uh, shooting. That is correct. Summer. And we should probably be hearing casting pretty soon on it. But you know what? I, I love Ryan Johnson. Like, good for him. Get paid, man. Like, I it's great that he owned the rights to knives out like first movie was released by Lionsgate, but um he owned the rights to knives out so he was able to shop it anywhere and netflix desperate for franchises um is like yeah we'll give you a literally dump truck of money on your on your front steps and you can do whatever you want so he gets to do an original thing uh which and just get a buttload of money for it. You know what? I'm all for it. Good for him. Like, yeah. It's also funny when you think about like this, this movie was basically created out of the vitriol that, uh, you know, star Wars fans had been throwing at him. And this is almost weirdly, you know, part of his love of, of, of murder mysteries and Agatha Christie, but another part of it was sort of his reaction to um, not the criticism, but like the pure hatred um, that that a certain group of Star Wars fans were were spewing at him and other people associated with uh, the Last Jedi, and that this was this little weird movie that was almost kind of not a do it yourself kind of thing, but a very modest film with a great cast more so than anything else. Um, that was that almost felt like a weird like throwaway film. Like to me, I I don't like necessarily comparing the two because one's a terrible man but like you look at when joss whedon did you know much ado about nothing his version of that he did it after avengers and he was able to make that movie you know at his own estate and for nothing and brought all of his friends to shoot it but the reason why so many people saw it not that it became a success afterwards or launched the franchise because it's i mean obviously shakespeare but it was more successful because of the Avengers. And so now with Johnson having both a star Wars movie and this knives and the first knives out being so successful, you know, more people are probably going to even watch those two sequels than they did knives out the first knives out. And then on top of that, bringing Daniel Craig back, you'll get more people interested in that and his weird accent and things like that. So, and also whoever, I hope every movie cast, he has a different accent. Oh, that would as be well. good. I'm like, um, and Benny, Benny I, Blanc. <laughs> yeah. And I love, yeah, like, and the movies can be made for the cheap because you spend most of your budget on the cast and it's all usually single location and there's not any special effects or anything. It's just intri- it's interesting mystery storytelling that yeah. like you can make it on the cheap. And the only reason why it costs 40 million is because you give each one of your actors in it. And location. A million, Loca- a like million, if, if they're yeah, shooting like, in Greece, it's going to be that's going to cost. Yeah. Yeah, of course, where it's not just at a, a manor or whatever. You know who but, also probably um, is, is, is kind of liking this right now, just because it, it takes some attention away from them is Disney with uh death on the Nile with, uh, yeah. You know, who knows what's going to happen with that because of the right? army hammer like, stuff right which is also really like i almost feel like kenneth Branagh should get a little bit of blame for that because i mean he did cast johnny depp in murder on the orient express which at that point like nobody really knew about the army hammer stuff then so it's like you can kind of say like oh well i i didn't know but Johnny Depp was already problematic when he was. It was sort hired. of stunt casting because of what happens. Yeah, to that because he was the villain, the and too. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like you're still giving him a platform, money, yeah. 
and I mean, even way more stuff has even come out of that whole thing's hard to follow, and and, and it's very complicated it's, and ugly, yeah. and you know. which divorces and stuff often are, but this one seems wilder than most. But um, yeah, I mean, I I I vocally was not a huge fan of Knives Out, but it's also um, during that time of TIFF where it's been hovering over my you know my next like watch list like for for a long time because i'm like you know what i gotta give this movie a fair shot because there's a lot of times during tiff and um the other movie in the same year uh, is the barry jenkins uh, uh movie if Beale Street um, could talk. yeah both of those movies same tiff where i went in you know my headspace is in you know god knows where during tiff uh, and like sometimes a movie just does not land and i watched the trailer for if beale street could talk the other day because we we're prepping for underground underground railroad and i was like fuck i should re-watch this movie this looks great and like same with knives out of being like a f- i love like fun mystery movies like that and i'm like how did those things not land and i'm like you know what? i gotta go in and sometimes i'll go in and watch a tiff movie that i did not care for at all and i go what the hell was i thinking that was great everyone was right i'm wrong um so i'm curious to uh revisit it and see how i feel afterwards well, you were also I'm- burnt out that day as well because i mean i i also really liked um dolomite is my name but i remember you didn't right. like that as well and then we saw both dolomite is my name and knives out back to back basically and that was yeah i just had a bad day maybe my i was in a bad mood who knows but um it was uh did you have the runs maybe who knows man my diet of what we joked about cigarettes and m&m peanuts um i don't smoke cigarettes um just pop by cigarettes yeah uh i was uh uh I, I good for him i'm curious to see um these knives out sequels on uh netflix i mean he's set for um, life now like he oh god good for him know, man. like not that that like you know seems like a genuinely good dude too yeah. so like i'm 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 all for it i mean not that a hundred million dollars is not nothing but i mean a hundred million dollars when you think of like it's not in the same league as obviously like a george lucas or a spielberg or someone like that. but i'm that. sure he already cashed in on star wars too yeah, so yeah. like but i bet you he's making more on this than he did on star wars yeah. but like even then he probably took in a couple mil on star wars or 10 million or whatever but like uh, again you do those things so you could fund something like a knives out too, or a brick right? or like, something or else or that he wants to do that's smaller, a smaller yeah. weirder movie that or looper like looper like i'm surprised he was able to get looper made before he did star wars like that movie yeah. is also a very like on paper because you have bruce willis coming back and doing a sci-fi thing fifth element 12 monkeys that kind of thing and then you have people like emily blunt and joseph gordon levitt it's like okay at least we can have the the marketing there but it is such a dark and weird film that i like the movies that he had made before you know brick and the brothers bloom like it it wasn't really like enough to be like oh yeah i would give you know ryan johnson money to make this really weird fucked up you know sci-fi thriller horror-esque movie um about a dystopian society um but now it's like okay well you know him doing this um and making these movies yeah he can go and make 20 loopers you know not that he would make you know more looper movies but like more movies that he couldn't have gotten made that maybe he's had in his dresser drawer for years now i agree completely um 
any other piece of news that you remember over the last couple of weeks? Um, and then I'm also going to say we are getting long in the tooth. I'm going to pitch something to you. Do you want to do a mini episode with just Oscar predictions? Yeah, that let's do that. Sep- that so people don't have to wait two hours and 15 minutes to to get uh, our and we'll probably spend another 45 minutes to an hour talking Oscars. So I feel like maybe uh, let's put this episode out and then we're 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 making the cheese on the air, making the sausage on the air. Everyone. We're making the but, cheese on the air. <laughs> I don't know what that. That's definitely not the same. I think that's going to be um, the new quote for this show. We're making the cheese yeah. on the air. <laughs> so we're churning the butter. We're doing whatever people nope, do to make. We're cheese, making the cheese but, on the air. Um, so I think that we'll probably wrap up in a few moments here, and then let's do a mini episode for predictions, and then we'll do a mini episode for reactions probably friday and monday uh for uh you know the oscars because i still think it's worthy of its own thing we just went kind of long <laughs> talking about everything else so uh, i hope everyone understands that i think it'll make for better content um yeah anyway. great cheese. anything else off the ta- top of your head over the last couple of weeks that you wanted to talk about no not really i think that uh you know in terms of what's going on right now we we've talked a lot about you know Alex Garland has a new project and things like that. And, and you know, there, there will be stuff that we'll talk about in, in more detail as things come up and, and we can talk about them, but it's just interesting now that, you know, we're, we're, we're approaching the summer movie season uh, in 2021. And uh, that will be interesting to see how that looks or what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it looks like, you know, like I said, everything, is starting to open up in the US. Um, people are being vaccinated and yes, it probably will be lower capacity, but more theaters. Um, so you'll see screen screens start to open up and you'll have things probably in double the amount of screens that they were in before. Tom but and less- Jerry in three screens. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's what you're going to see. I don't think you'll, I mean, some places are just going to open up full capacity and that's what it is. You saw that in Texas with the Texas Rangers, Toronto Blue Jays game. And, and you're going to see that and do what you want. Um, if you're vaccinated and you feel safe enough by all means. Uh, but here in, in Ontario, especially it's going to be interesting because May is looking like it's going to be very busy. Uh, but things are definitely not opening up in May here. Um, I would be surprised if things open up by July or August here. Um, which will lead us back into um, film festival season where it'll be like, okay, what's going on with that this year, which I'm sure. Exactly. So who knows? But, um, I, our friend Daniel just sent me an article saying that, you know, inside baseball stuff, but Warner Brothers in the US is saying that they're going to end online theatrical screeners in May and go back to in person press screenings in the US. Um, <laughs> Good luck here. And I'm like, yeah, here, that's definitely, that's what I'm like. I, I think that'll be different based on your region, right? Yeah. But um, it's, I don't. I can't fathom going back to a theater anytime soon, which really, really sucks. Um, so it looks well, like even for a, like a controlled press screening, because like again, this is all like you know inside information. But like but people w- like that. Warner kind of Brothers stuff. has a screening room in. It's in pretty Toronto. small, though. You think they'd yeah. have a bigger space? What they would probably end up doing is they'd have to do multiple screenings of one film at and least only two, have like ten people at a time. Yeah, because they did right? that with it. Not that they only had ten people at a time, but they had more than one screening because it was around TIFF and they knew some people wouldn't be able to see it. So they had scheduled like you know 
you could see it on this day or this day. So, but they did those in bigger theaters downtown Toronto, yeah. right? Like, but if it uh, is going, if it is going to be available day and date on HBO Max, like they probably still will have the capability to send screeners internationally. So it's not like, yeah, you know. Because again, because well, it'll be VOD here yeah. unless theaters are open, or else it could get very complicated if they don't want to put things on VOD and they're just going to hold things for theatrical releases, much like other international stuff releases. Will get bootlegged where, as well, right? Um, like, yeah, and that's that's the thing you run into is like, um, like people are going to want to see the Suicide Squad, right? So. And that's what I mean. Like, if it's not available here. But I think Warner Brothers will continue their VOD thing. It just depends on if it's going to be on HBO Max, it'll be VOD here. But um, if theaters aren't open, but like I'm, I'm curious about other companies, like if they start releasing their stuff in the US in theaters because the US is open, um, what do they do if Canada's not open? Do they just wait and go, well, it's like any other international release. Sometimes somewhere in Europe, you have to wait four months before something comes out there right so in canada are we gonna have to wait like we did with uh palm springs or run uh, run or something like that where you know things might just get held for four months or something like that like something might come out in the u.s like i'm worried that fast nine we have some time it's not until june right june 11th um but that being said, like say theaters aren't open here in June, it's opening five weeks early in China to try and avoid uh, their uh, uh, celebration, their annual celebration, um, I think. And because everything shuts down during that time, I worry that in Canada, Universal is going to go, yeah, we're just, you're going to have to wait till theaters are open because like we're releasing it in theaters, but um, we're not going to put it on VOD again for a piracy thing too, even going back to not wanting it to get pirated and, and put out in the US where they are making money on it as well. And like, I don't know, man, it's going to be interesting. I have no idea. Um, we're in a, a, an even different situation now because Ontario is one of the worst places in the world for handling COVID cases right now. So, um, it's we're we're at a point where if everything else is opening up but we're totally fucked still like places might just be like we could probably make money off of you guys in in vod but we might just hold the theatrical release until whenever you're open and that's where it's going to get complicated review side of things of like yes our podcast is based in canada but we are you know we have lots of listeners in other countries and in the us and in europe and things like that so um, I have no idea how to handle it all, but um, just take we it shall one see. day at a time and just adapt to the situation because that's all you can really do. Yeah, we shall see. Um, so yes, we will do our Oscar predictions, everyone. But we're going to do like a little mini episode. You'll get an 89th draft, uh, probably. You'll get three episodes of this show in the next week. You'll get this big one, and you'll get two smaller ones that talk about the Oscars in the next little while. Um, so, um, stay tuned for that. We appreciate it. If you came to this episode for the Oscars, you probably didn't cause I didn't name it that. <laughs> so you're not expecting it, but we did talk about it at the beginning of the show, but, uh, we're going to do a smaller episode, uh, coming up uh, probably Friday for you guys to check out right before the Oscars with our official predictions and things like that. Uh, please go check out our review show right now. We have reviews up for love and monsters, uh, the unholy, um, Godzilla versus Kong, Godzilla versus Warner Kong. Brothers. 
Yeah. Um, and then on Wednesday, the 21st, I've mentioned it a hundred times. We will have a review for the Mitchells versus the machines up on that channel. So please go check that out. Um, you're either well. a good Terminator, a um, bad Terminator or a neutral Terminator. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I love that. Um, and then, uh, as always, uh, you can follow us on all those social medias at, at untitled underscore cast. Drop us a review on your podcast service of choice. You can follow me on all those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I don't have any other work other than here right now, which sounds depressing. But I mean, well, you do pop I, up on Cinema Scene, which is a, a show kind that of funny I, uh, every once in a while. Post, Cinema yeah. Scene, You're thinking you know? about doing some playing some novelty uh, video games, whether it be on Twitch and on, you might join yeah, me to yeah. play Home Improvement yeah. or something. So you got stuff. <laughs> in the pipeline you're thinking about stuff so and, you, and you're doing well, stuff you, on a regular i'll let you guys know when that happens yeah and um, uh i'm eric marchin you can find more of my reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinema scene and on the social medias at em6211 and until next time this is where we make the cheese